What's up, everybody? My name is Brazil, and welcome to my podcast. Today's episode is with my good friend, Tony Selznick. Now, if you don't know, he's the co-owner of one of the biggest dance agencies in the world, MSA. And the reason that I think this podcast is important and valuable for you to watch is because we talk about the power of relationships and just what it means to build relationships in this industry. Because a lot of times it can feel pretty transactional. It can feel like people just want things from you or they only want you when you're hot. You know, but Tony is somebody that I've known for a while that's always cared about building careers. And we talk a lot about that, both his process and building the biggest agency in the world and also just what it means to build relationships and ways to do that. And we go into a lot more stuff than that, but it's an overall amazing episode. Episode. I think you guys are going to love it. So here it is, my interview with Tony Selznick. I'm super excited about today's episode. My guest today is somebody who I have so much respect for. I met him actually on an airplane several years ago, and we've had some amazing conversations uh, in beaches. And to me, he's just like a really good person um, with a creative spirit. But other people might know him as the owner of one of the biggest talent agencies in the world, MSA. We're talking about Mr. Tony Selznick. Yeah, I like that. <laughs> I like the intro. Dude, you know, what I like about you is that you and I, we've done some business together, not not a ton. Yeah. We just have great conversations. Yeah. Well, you have, you're a really good conversationalist, though. I'm sure a lot of people tell you that, though. Yeah, but you're like, I feel like um, in this town, a lot of times when people feel like they can't make a transaction with you, the conversation doesn't go much further. But uh -huh. you and I have had so many. Yeah. Just let's just hang out. Let's just talk yeah. about life, about kids, about yeah. whatever. Even though we're both working on stuff that like could join, and if it does, it it can't. <laughs> it's like, what's your theory on that? On relationships? Are you like that in general? Yeah, it's actually the the foundation of what I when I like the camp that I just did. Yeah. With these kids, you know, the whole the reason why I put the camp. It's so funny. We're just launching right into this, but the reason why I put the camp together is because when I was watching Mark teaching on conventions. I just thought, wow, as an agency owner, I wonder if agencies have a value in the convention world. So I did it as a proof of concept. Let's just see if this works. It's the only agency curated intensive. So basically what we're doing is taking a group of kids and introducing them to choreographers that we think are gonna influence their future so that if they wanna be professional, they're in the room with the people that are gonna be hiring them. Right. So what we're telling, teaching these kids, it's about relationships, that the most powerful tool that you can have in this business is relationships. Yeah. And it's not just with dance. It's actually probably in any business. And it's probably true in life too, you know? So that's what we teach with the camp. The camp is all about building relationships. So it's funny that's the first question you asked me because that's actually the foundation of what my business is based on. Yeah. Well, I think a lot of times people think that relationships means getting something from the person right away. And I don't think that's it at yeah, all. That's a really good point. You know, yeah. like um, a lot of times, like the, the relationships I have don't really mature into something fruitful until years later. Yeah, that's really true. Right? I learned this by in business, trying for short term to get like, you know, like with what I do as an agent, trying to get the most money for the shortest <laughs> amount of time. But after doing that for years and years, I, I started realizing that people trust me because I'm honest, because I'm trying to do the right thing. And that's more powerful than getting them, my client more money today is building relationship with the buyer so that they come back over and over again. So it actually has proven itself to me many, many times that the relationships are, the, are really key in business too. It's not just in life, it's actually a big part of business transactions is being able to trust somebody and feel like you have a relationship with them. Yeah, you know? I was talking with somebody the other day about you know, the importance of making reels and websites and all that. But when I actually thought about it, like my biggest jobs of the last three years, I don't think they even saw my reel. Yeah. I just got recommended to them. Yeah. Like I directed Disney commercials last year. 
I swear, I, like, I don't think they even knew of, they were just like, oh no, we heard you were the right person yeah. for this. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like, it's nice to have a presentation, have a reel, yeah. have all that. But at the end of the day, when somebody vouches for you, that's. Yeah. Yeah. I'd say that too, that my biggest deals I've ever done have been handshakes. They haven't yeah. been contracts, which is so funny because my, <laughs> my job is all about contracts. But what I yeah. tell people, contracts actually don't mean anything, which is why it's funny. Contracts don't mean anything. And it's funny it's coming from me because they're, they're there to protect you. But at the end of the day, your word is what's going to, it's either going to carry you or stop you from moving forward. You know, And if people know that they can trust you, that's far more valuable. And it's funny because in business now with emails and with social media, there's so much documentation you do can do now. So the need for contracts are less and less because you actually, I actually have all the proof in the emails, like how much money they're paying somebody, what the timing is and all that. So I, many times now I don't even do contracts because I feel like, no, the emails back and forth and the fact that I've been working with these people for 20 years, I don't really need a contract. What I need is the check from, from yeah. them. And as long as they're good for that, then we're good to go. And aren't know? emails technically legally binding? Absolutely, they are, yeah. Yeah, so if somebody says, yes, I agree to this. Yeah. From an invoice yeah. even, it's like... Save it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, let's take it back for a bit. Just because for, for people that are watching, I mean, a lot of people watching already know, but for those who don't know, MSA, I was telling Stevie about this. You guys cover so much talent in front of the camera, behind the camera. Let's talk about that. What's yeah. currently happening with MSA? What's the, the, the spectrum of people you represent? Yeah, it's amazing. Um, it's This is a whole other podcast <laughs> of what we went through the past couple of years, but over COVID, we were really fortunate to reinvent ourselves in a really big way. And again, the relationships came in. What I learned over the pandemic is that you can, pull, you can take things away, but you can't take away the relationships that Julie and I built and mm -hmm. are my company built. So we did really well over the pandemic, just in terms of re reinventing ourselves and recalibrating and doing all that kind of stuff. And we got we're, we got really busy, actually way busier. And a lot of our clients, you know, you know the story. Like a lot of our dancers transitioned into choreographers, and then choreographers then transitioned into directors. And what we've been doing this past couple of years is transitioning them from directors into executive producers on television. Wow. And that's been a big thing. Like America's Got Talent, um, American Idol. American Song Contest, most of the variety shows out there have people that were choreographers that are now producing. And that's something that we sort of like pioneered for, and we've been doing it for years, but it's the biggest part of our business now is executive producers of television shows. Wow. Yeah. And it, it, it almost seems like you're you're shepherding people through the evolution as an artist, yeah, right? Because artists aren't meant to just do one thing. Yeah. yeah. No matter what you do, there is a next stage evolution. Well, that was my proudest thing about starting MSA is that I, I didn't want anybody to tell me what we can do or what we couldn't do. And this is what I do when I, when I meet clients, I tell them like what I, what I love about our business is that we can grow wherever we want. Like that's the beauty of it is that when our clients started becoming producers, we started becoming agents for producers, right. you know? So I'm, I'm not afraid to move in a different direction. And that's what I've, and this is again, why Julie and I make really good partners because I'm always, you know, this about <laughs> me. I'm always out there trying to like, do something different. Yeah. And sometimes it works. And sometimes I have Julie going, hey, remember you got a business back here. So I have to kind of be reeled back in. But then I go off and I did it through the pandemic. I created two TV shows that I took out, you know, and it was all That's because amazing. of just sort of like having the time and me thinking, you know what? I love MSA and I love what I do and I'm really proud of it, but that's not the end all. My The purpose of MSA wasn't just for me to make a commission off of booking our clients on jobs. My goal is to create IP with my clients and create properties in the dance world. And that's really the reason why I have MSA is because I want to use what we have 
to do something bigger with it. I mean, that's always been my intention. You know, I love that about you. I, I feel like I can relate to it because that's the way I feel You're about You're an my... entrepreneur, entrepreneur as well. I'm, yeah, yeah, half yeah. entrepreneur, half artist. Yeah. You know, like I have yeah. a production company. We do music videos and commercials. All that is fine and dandy, but it's just to prepare us to do our own thing. Yeah, to launch our own IPs, like yeah. we did now with Naughty Girl and soon with other stuff. Right. And the it's fact like... that you didn't know that was going to be the one that was going to carry the company. But yeah. Just felt like, I love stuff like that because as long as you're fluid and you're willing yeah. to like go in a different direction because you don't always know when something is making you take off where you're going to end up but right. if you trust the process and you're good you know were you always like this were you always entrepreneurial because you're an artist you were a dancer yeah i and it's funny you said that because i always have been this way and i've sometimes really you know it's funny because I'm older. I turned 60 this year, which what? is crazy to even say that. You're looking good, man. <laughs> <laughs> but but I, there are certain periods of my life where I doubted where I was doing. It only happened a couple of times. And I, and I never called them a midlife crisis. I used to say a midlife transformation because mm, I don't believe I in like the whole that. midlife crisis thing. But it only happened a couple of times where I was like, oh, shit, like, is this what I'm supposed to be doing? But seriously, only a few times. And it started because my brother took me to dance class when I was 14. Okay. And then Russell Clark was my teacher and he became my mentor and I was his assistant for many years. So he just like shepherded me in. And then Julie was the woman that owned the studio where Russell taught. So I met Julie. So it was all kind of given to me. Your partner, Julie. Oh, she owned yeah, the studio. Yeah. She first. owned the dance studio. Yeah. Got and it. then I got, I was married a long time ago. And when I was married, my <laughs> wife back then said, go get a real job. She's <laughs> like, it's time to stop dancing. And I went to go work for Julie because of that. I hated it, <laughs> but it led me to the next thing. So I get my, I guess what I'm saying is that I never... I'm really fortunate that I never had to like struggle with what I was going to do. It was always, I just always was on this path. And, I, and that's what I'm saying. Only twice in my life did I like freak out going, oh shit, like, is this the right path? Like, did, yeah. I, cause I didn't choose this. It just, I just sort of like went on this ride and you know, everyone's, you know, only like, like I said, only twice to like doubt it, but it's an incredible thing. And I feel so blessed. And I talk to my kids a lot about this. I've always felt really fortunate that I've been sort of like given this path, you know, to, to pursue. It's wonderful. Dude, it's amazing. I, I would have never said I was going to be an agent. Like, that's so weird. <laughs> yeah, I, still, I still tell people that. I don't call myself an agent, which is weird that I don't because I, yeah. I own an agency. But I call myself an entrepreneur. And I mm. feel like in that, I was lucky enough to create MSA. And my goal with MSA is to create more with my clients. You know, that's, that's what I'm doing. So, Do you think there's a conflict between being an entrepreneur and being an artist? No, you know, it's so funny. That word conflict is really is perception conflict isn't really a conflict when you say that word you're talking about do people view it as a conflict so mm. then you're talking about perception right and that really is something you can easily clear up and i'll give you a good example okay in business they've always said agents can't produce managers can but agents can't and it's a really weird line but agents role is to negotiate a contract that's your job as an agent right a manager's uh definition is to advise so you advise, you get commission, you negotiate, you get commission, but they're two separate things. For whatever reason, the laws were that agents weren't allowed to produce. Oh, legally they weren't Legally allowed. they weren't. Now, the laws have changed with the unions changing all that. So that law actually isn't in place anymore, but there's still a perception that it's a conflict of interest for agents to produce. And because I am a producer and I am an agent, I've had to deal with this a lot. Yeah. And what I did learn is it's really perception. And what that means is that as long as I'm clear with my clients, hey, on this project, you should know I'm producing it, which means I'm not commissioning it from you because I'm a producer on it. And as long right. as you tell people up front that that's the relationship, then you're actually okay. Yeah. So getting back to what you're first saying, that is there a conflict? Like the conflict is really in somebody thinking there's something wrong, but as long as you're transparent with people and what you're doing, yeah. I don't think it's a conflict at all. And I don't think that art is only for 
art. Like, why can't art be business too? You know why I mean? can't like, business be art? Absolutely. Like for yeah. the longest time, I, I I've heard that that conversation. Like like when your wife told you get a real job, mm -hmm. right? It, it's kind of part of that same conversation of saying, well, there's art and there's business. Now, sure, you could do art technically and not make any money. Yeah. But you're not less of an artist if you choose to make money with it. Hundred yeah, percent. Yeah. Yeah. So then, when did you guys start MSA? Almost 22, 22 years ago. September 18th is our 22nd anniversary. Wow. And I know that because I remember- In 99 or 2000? 2000. Okay. Yeah, it was 2000. And I remember it the day we opened because it was actually the day that I bought my first house in Brentwood. And we went. I literally went in the morning to get the key to open it up for the movers. And then I left and opened up the office at MSA wow. on El Centro. Same day, September 18th, yeah. Were there many dance agencies back then or talent agencies? Well, there was, you know, so Julie, so Julie started the first dance agency ever. Okay. Julie was the first agent and she did it at a company called Joseph Helfon and Ricks. It was the corner okay. of Hollywood and Highland. They oh, eventually, they right on the corner. Yeah. They eventually yeah. turned into KSA, okay. which then turned into KSR and Julie was an agent there and she eventually left with me and we started MSA. So MSA was not the first agency, it was actually KSA, but we're the first dance agency. We're the first agency. Oh, so KSA also repped. Yeah, they were commercial Actors, agents. Everybody yeah. got it, got it. Yeah. They just so then dancers were just like a line item in yeah. their list of things. And there was KSA, then there was Bobby Ball had an agency, and Teresa Taylor was okay. the agent over there. And that was Julie's first competition. Yeah. And Julie was so cool because she how she took it is that competition actually means she was doing something right. So right. she actually welcomed the competition. Yeah. And now there's like six different agencies out there, I think. And what has been that evolution of MSA? At the very beginning, when you guys started, how does one start an agency? Was it just because you knew some friends that needed help negotiating contracts? Like, how do you go from? Well, for us, we were already in business because remember, Julie already was an agent at KSA and she was there for 10 years. So for her, it was just time to start something new. And she had we, the relationships. Yeah, yes. So when we started, when we left to do MSA, we weren't going to do dancers because we had a, 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 a an agreement with KSA that they would keep the dancers and we would just do the choreographers. And then that oh. over time that changed and we decided to bring in agents to do dancers. And that yeah. really that really helped our company, I have to say, when we started doing dancers. Because in the dance community is where you find out a lot of information that you didn't have if we we're just doing the choreography. So that right. the synergy between them really worked really well. It's so funny because now you would think that, of course, you would do both. But at the beginning, <laughs> yeah. we were like, no, we just want to represent choreographers. And after like a year, we were missing out on commercials. And we're like, oh, shit, we don't have the talent. That's why we don't know about these jobs. We right. need to have talent, you know? Has, is, are there more opportunities now to make money in dance than before? Oh, my God, yeah. I mean, you know, because you're like one of the pioneers of social media. And right. when that changed the business, everything changed. So there's huge, I mean, you know this more than I do, like the way that people can brand themselves now. For that sure. didn't exist 15 years ago. 10 years ago, like people... You couldn't do that. Is you know? MSA involved in that side of it? Oh yeah, absolutely. With brand deals and yeah, stuff? Yeah. Oh, that's fantastic. Yeah, yeah. It's harder nowadays. The I was concerned when social media first came out whether the role of an agent was even necessary anymore, to be honest with you, because with the social media influencers, they were getting approached for their own, you know, DM'd on Instagram, like, you, you wanna do this job. And for, for the longest time, it was, you can't get to talent unless you go through agents. So it was right. a clear path. Then it became not so clear. So some of the stronger influencers that you know that I'm mm -hmm. dealing with is like, why do I need you? And people are calling me themselves. And it was it threw us off our game for a minute. But then what happened is we quickly learned that no, there are still people out there that need development and understand development and understand the relationship with an agent. And yeah. that's what we gravitate towards. And that's when our business really took off because we started really focusing on people that understood the collaborative relationship between a client and a, and, a, and an agent. And there's also a, a bit more power when you have speak somebody speaking on your behalf, you know. Like, I think so. I mean, that's that's a 
some people feel that way. Some people like to do it themselves. You know, there there yeah. are reasons to have other people talk on your behalf. And I think sometimes it's good. Sometimes it's good to just do it yourself. You know, for sure. I know that that's what people tell me is like they just want to be creative. Talk to my agent about business. I just do creative. You know, but yeah, you can also do business and be creative. It's not. It's yeah, <laughs> yeah, they're not mutually exclusive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 For sure. So yeah. nowadays, MSA, you guys rep everybody. You guys get dancers, choreographers, directors. Yeah, because we have an office in New producers. York too. So we do, yeah, dancers, uh, choreographers. And we just added another person to us to do below the line with us, which is sort of like, you know, like production designers and hair and makeup and all that kind of stuff. Oh, so great. We expanded this year. Brooklyn Lavin, who's an incredible, uh, she was an agent, then a manager, and she's now working with us, helping us develop not only more of the creative department, which is creative is what we call directors and choreographers and producers, okay. but also the below the line, which is all the other people that that work on like the you know teams and stuff like that. That's awesome. So she's doing that with us. And we brought in this great guy named Matt Jackson, who's a theatrical agent. So he's doing theatrical now. We haven't had that, like a real theatrical dedicated agent. Right. And then New York, we're doing the same thing. That's, That's incredible. Great. And then we also, through the pandemic, produced two shows, one in LA, one in New York with our clients. And that was, the, to me, that's the most fun. Like, that's when I got to, that's the most fun. What I've shows ever. were they? New York, we did something called uh, One Night Only. And it was uh, One Night Only. And this woman, Holly Ann Devlin, that's a client of ours there. She produces and directs immersive entertainment. So she created a show with our clients. And it was, we did it one night in, at the Paradise Ballroom in, in New York. And it was incredible. We all flew out there to go see it. And then I've got my show, Watch Me Dance, which I did here at the Bourbon Room. And that was really fun too. Let's talk about that. Watch Me Dance. You've been doing that for how long now? Like a year So it's I, it started during COVID. Okay. But it was, it was I have a funny thing with this. I, I thought of this whole idea during COVID and it was, it was a, an animated show. It was an animated character that teaches you how to dance. It okay. was called Copycat. And the whole idea was that Copycat showed you a move and then you try the move. And if you can do it, you move on. It was kind of like a game show format. Right. So we took that out. We didn't sell it and we took it out for a long time and it just didn't sell. And I woke up one day and I thought, I'm going to still work on this, even though I didn't sell it. And I still want to make sure that it was a good idea because I didn't actually try it. I just pitched it. You know what I mean? Yeah, so yeah. I called up Krista and Corey Miller, Autumn's parents at yeah. Space TV. And I was like, hey, I want to try something. Can I come down there and try this thing called Copycat? And I went down there and I had Dan Tupic was the... Uh, choreographer yeah and what i learned is that i don't want an animated character i actually want a choreographer because every week then the choreographer changes the theme of the show because of their, their personality right so i learned that but then what i also learned down at space tv was that the show was not about who can lift their leg the highest or who can point their foot the the most and i thought my show is about a vibe it's more of a club thing so i thought i don't I, I need to now try it outside of a dance studio it needs to be in a nightclub right so i did it at the bourbon room and I had this idea, it was five rounds of competition. And it starts out with people freestyling so that, and we have judges and the judges were gonna pick who they gravitate towards, like right. you know, who they think, you know, who attracts them. And then we go from there. And in doing that, it just all happened, the progression happened naturally. And then I decided, so I'm gonna do the bourbon room. I called Jamie King. I was like, hey, you wanna be a judge? I'm doing this thing, right? I don't know what yeah. it is yet, but it's a, it's a competition. So Jamie calls me and goes, yeah, what, what do you think about asking Carmen Electra to be a judge? And I was like, <laughs> okay, ask her. So he calls me up a couple hours later, Carmen's in. I was like, oh my God, amazing. He goes, yeah, I told her that the whole concept is that we're watching dancers and we're commenting on them, talking about our experience, looking at these dancers. And I was, I, I didn't say that. <laughs> and I got really annoyed with him. I was like, Jamie, that's not the show. Like, And he's like, well, what do I tell Carmen? And I was like, I, I don't know. And I hung up the phone. I was like, and I thought about it. I thought, you know what? I actually don't know what the judges are doing yet. I just had judges. Yeah. <laughs> so I thought, okay, tell Carmen that is the show. We're gonna, you're gonna be talking. <laughs> so we did one, and it was just beautiful, like what happened. And I, and I had it 
the producers that I brought with me are all clients and they were all fan and I still are working with them. And Marvin Brown is a, one of my clients. He's a choreographer, director, producer. And he was the one that came up with this idea that the judges should get, have teams, like let the judges pick a team and then the team gets Marvin a Marvin Brown, uh, not DJ Marv. No, no, he's a, he's a, he's a choreographer, direct, he's now a producer. From director. London? Uh-huh, yeah. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah is he also DJ? No, there's another guy named oh, Marvin you. Brown who's a DJ. Okay, DJ gotcha. Marv, shout out Anyway, to so, so Marvin came up with this cool concept. And so, yeah. and what I guess what I'm saying is that it developed over time. Yeah. So then we did it at the Bourbon Room and it was really good. And then I thought, okay, I want to do it again, but I want to change up the choreographer. And I did it. So the first time I, when I did the Bourbon Room, the first time was with Chase Benz was the choreographer and he was yeah. great. Second time I did it, Kutura was the choreographer from Miami. Okay. And she was unbelievable and then this last time we did it i had oh then i did it another time with Aliyah janelle was the choreographer Aliyah was before couture but wasn't it supposed to be freestyles so what were the no, choreographers no, no. So, so, so it's a competition it begins with freestyle but once the choreographers choose their teams then the choreographer comes out and teaches choreography and whoever gets it best moves on got and it, it and it escalates and then there's a twist at the end that's really weird that happened from doing it live we we realized it was an end piece that needed to be done and that happened as we're doing it and i brought in a dj dj bryn taylor and she's amazing and she helped me develop this as well so the whole thing was like we workshopped the whole thing and it just yeah. so we went from chase Benz to Aaliyah janelle and then it was kutura and then we did one the other day and it was nikki anderson and it's so much fun because each choreographer comes with a whole different bag of tricks with bag of steps so it, the whole show is different based on the, the the choreographer and their style i really what i like about that style of development is that it's it's iterations yeah and you're allowing other people to add their genius to it yeah i think and, and maybe it still works but like there's this old school way of of developing projects where you kind of are alone in a dark room and yeah. you make this masterpiece and you go ta-da yeah, everybody it likes it yeah but in, in that case it's like no you, ha you have the seed of an idea yeah and then you add and you make it a little better and better and then it becomes what it's going to be yeah yeah. yeah. And it was really fun because Kenny Ortega came twice and he loves it. He's a fan. And he called me up and he's like, your show is so great. You just need a director. I was like, ah, <laughs> will you direct it? So then he, that's how he directed the last one. That's amazing. So it was really fun, but it, it, it was like a progression. It all happened like naturally. That's you know? amazing. Yeah. And what are your goals with it? So I built it as a TV show and I still want to sell as a TV show, but what we're finding is it's a really good live show. Mm. So I'm building two different uh, pl uh, like platforms for it. One of them is a live show. You know, nice. I grew up with Jeté and Carnival, yeah. so I'm really into the club thing, and I've yeah. always loved that. But I have to say, I've always wanted more than just watching a showcase of choreographers. And when I went to right. Carnival and Jeté, I've always wished there was more. So that's why I wanted to do Watch Me Dance, because I wanted it to be something. I wanted it to be a competition, so there's a beginning, middle, and an end. So right. there's a reason why you go, you root for somebody, there's a winner, they win something, and then you're done. Like, I just wanted that to yes, happen. Yes, that sense of completion. Uh-huh, right. Yeah. 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 That's amazing, man. Yeah. So I, it, you can tell me talking about it. It's so inspiring <laughs> and it's so much fun to do it. And it's really great because you don't know how the show is going to end, just the nature of the format. So it's always scary for me because I can produce like this last one we did the other day. I, I started it in January. I spent six months producing it. So it was all the pieces so, were put So it's together. not every month that you do one. No, no, I, I don't have a schedule yet. So we, Got I it. just picked one in December, I was like, I'm gonna do it in June. So I yeah, <laughs> yeah. It. and I spent all this time working on it. And then when June happened, like the day before, it was like, everything's done, but the ending's not done. And I'll mm. tell you, so I'll tell you what happened. So as people get eliminated from the show, okay. two rounds, they go off to another location at the Bourbon Room. And then Sienna Lyons and Lee Daniel are my supervising choreographers. Yeah. And they choreograph the finale number. 
and they do it with all the choreography that's happened during the show. So when the finale numbers comes out to perform, the last two contestants, they, they don't, they're not part of the learning because they're still competing. It's the last two people. They watch the finale one time, and then we do it again, and they have to dance inside of it. We take two people out. So we basically say, wow. you, Brazil, you're the guy with the red hair. Right. Watch him. And you have to watch the entire dance one time, and then you do it again, and you have to be inside of it. I love it. that because that's an actual challenge that dancers face sometimes when they get hired on a tour well, that's the day so, of. And they say, you. hey, you have to join thank you. song yeah. number five on tour. Go. Yeah. So it's interesting yeah. because, so the whole point is that it's about who stands out, like who stands out, but then eventually it becomes who fits in because to, to what you just said, like if you're dancing in an usher's show in Vegas, you're not front center. You're not usher. Yeah. You're the guy in the back and you probably have to match the other guy in the back. So yeah. there's a skill to knowing how to sort of like, be inside of that, you know? Yeah. But it was interesting with having Kenny involved. Kenny really wanted to push the fact, like when he was saying when he used to direct Michael Jackson shows, he Michael would only pick stars. They weren't ensemble. They were every dancer was a star. So Kenny was really pushing to have this idea about you're looking for the star. So I kind of combined both concepts that it's it's the star that stands out, but it's also the star that fits in because you have to be a you have to be a team player and you have to yeah. be able to, to match other people. So that was really important to me that I did that because sometimes if you're too good and you're just too on your own, you're not going to work because you're going you're, you're just not a that, part of the team. You know, you're that soloist that's really good, but you're not a part of the team. But and I wanted this show to come from the dance community. And then the other thing when I'm pitching the show, it's really fun because I get this all the time. This is not the amateur show. <laughs> this is not the plumber that thinks they have cool moves. Like I right. can't. I've never liked that. Like. American Idol used to do, the, do that in the beginning where they would have like clunkers. Yeah. And I was like, why are you having clunkers? This is a singing competition. And I never understood that. And then the voice never did that. The voice only has good people on it. Right. And if you watch American Idol, they don't show bad people anymore. Like, right. They used to do that like as a joke. And now <laughs> it's like the best people. And that's why I feel about my show. It's like, you know what? There's enough shows out there for people that want to be dancers. But I believe there's enough dancers to do a show for dancers. Yeah. Like, you know, you, you know what I find interesting, not to get political about it, but, um, I, I love that idea, and I like how we all like competition shows, and I just feel it's interesting that the same group of people, us artists, who love competition shows, there's also a narrative about outcome equality, but everything we watch is a, not about that. Yeah, yeah. Right? I think yeah. maybe equal yeah. opportunity, right? Like you have the opportunity to try to be there, but all our favorite arts are meritocracy. Yeah. Right. Yeah. 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 Right. No, that's like, a good point. Yeah. Um, and what I like about that challenge that you're talking about is that, you know, in the real world of dancing, it's not going to be perfect. You're not always going to have, you know, six months to rehearse for Coachella. Sometimes you're the last minute hire because yeah. a dancer broke his leg yeah, and you have to come in tonight yeah. for the Grammys yeah. or whatever. That's the professional. And yeah. by the way, that's the people that have careers that can do that, you know. So I wanted to cater to something like that. And, and because I've done it now five times, it's really fun because I'm it actually works the format and it's really interesting to see the progression of how it works because a couple times ago i did a show and i had somebody cast the dancers for me and yeah when everybody showed up i saw this one girl oh and hey, i didn't and i didn't know oh look at that oh. <laughs> there's the moment yeah. you found your okay. you found your moment you can push him down if he's too That's much okay 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 <laughs> it's like my it's like charlie okay. yeah. anyway so in this particular show i showed up at the rehearsal and there's this one person and i didn't know her and i was like who is this person? Oh, hey, uh, Stevie, can you uh, just lean the, the mic back real quick? So it's, 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 it's got into the shot. Cool. And then just double check on the battery on the red camera, how it's doing. You want to press on it? When it gets to like two, let's, uh, let's switch it out, yeah? 
Oh, you have two on there? Oh, if you have two, then we're good. Then it'll transfer. Okay, so you're saying? Anyway, so we're doing a couple a couple shows ago. We were doing it, and this one person showed up when we were doing the rehearsal, and I saw, and I didn't know who she was, and I was like, "Who's?" I didn't know who that girl was, and yeah. I didn't I didn't think she was going to do very good, and she won. Wow! And it was the most amazing thing to watch her win over the entire audience because when she won, she cried, but the whole audience cried. Like everyone was bawling because it was like the underdog. We didn't expect to win, but through the combination of challenges, she emerged as the best person on stage. And it was, it was such, and that's what made me so proud of what I created because I thought, no, this actually works. And every time we do it, that happens. Like the person that wins is the, is the audience favorite. And it's mm. really fun to watch how that progression is, you know? And I bet it feels good to also feel like you deserve to win because you put in the heart and the effort, yeah. right? It's one thing to just pick somebody and say, hey, here's a spotlight for you. But yeah. no, it's like, here's an opportunity, yeah. a challenge. Yeah. We're going to make it hard for you. Yeah. But then, and then they come out victorious. And it's interesting because when I first started, I called a lot of my friends to do it. And to what you're talking yeah. about earlier, people didn't want to do it because they don't want to be in competition. And I understand that. Nobody wants to make a fool of themselves and right. be on stage and then get voted off. Like that's humiliating. So I had to sort of like go to like another layer of dancers that I don't know. And they were just nothing but appreciative because everybody wanted to do it. And it's really fun because it's not a, um, it's a very supportive show. So that as people are being eliminated, they're hugging each other and it's, it's like really positive. There's nothing negative about it. So it ended up being a great thing. And the, the kind of dancer that we bring in are dancers that really want the opportunity to be seen in front of people. So yeah. it's really fun. And competition doesn't have to be negative. You know, I don't know if this is true not or not, all. but I heard that um, the word to compete means to um, conspire together. Right, That's like awesome. if you and I are competing, it means that we're pushing each other to be greater. Uh -huh. I'm love showing it. you, I, I can take that. it to this level. Yeah. You're like, no, well, you can take it to that level, yeah. right? And it's like, yeah. so, you know, a lot of times my biggest progress in my video career have been because I saw somebody else do something. I was like, yeah. well, well, if they can do that, then I can, yeah. I should try that too, yeah. you know? And then boom, it's, yeah. we need a healthy sense of competition, but not in a negative way, not like yeah. I'm better than you. It's yeah. like, hey, we're all on this journey yeah. together, yeah. you know? But I, I need you to show me how great we can be. It's like, wow, then let me try that, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, you have seen so much greatness in your career, <laughs> right? And by greatness, I mean, not, not to deity anybody, but like you've no. seen people become very creatively successful yeah. at the, the top of entertainment world, you must notice some patterns. What do the most successful creative people have in common from your perspective? Interesting. I don't want to think about that for a minute. Not that they all have to be the same, but what are some common traits? And could you tell that they were going to be big, like like a, like a Kenny Ortega or the Vincent Powell? Like these. No, people... it's funny you say that because I have two different like two different conversations in my mind. Because okay. then there are people like Jamie King that was so laser focused on his career. And I'm just so grateful to be on the ride. Do you know what I mean? Like he just, he's just, he's the king. Like he really just yeah. knew what he was doing the whole time. And I was just, we have, we have a great relationship and a great partnership, but he's, I mean, he's just all drive right. and business. Like he is so, I've never seen anybody handle himself so well under stressful situations. Like I've never seen Jamie blow up. Like he's, and, and he's only quit two jobs and they were, he was completely sane and normal when he did it. Whereas I would have quit <laughs> almost every job he's done because they're ter terrible. Like I always hear the horror stories. I'm like, I would never do that. It's like, wow, amazing. So there's a part of me that says, you know, if you want a successful career like that, then you do have to have like a ruthlessness about you that you're just like, like vision, like a, like really pinpointing what that vision is and going for it. Mm -hmm. Jamie is so laser focused on his vision and his the steps that he needs to take to get there he's very calculated and very um uh premeditative about what his next steps are intentful and intentful and he's got a very good support system 
you know, for many years, he was very heavily involved with Kabbalah, which has got a huge support system and a great way of pat, way of patterning your thinking and stuff, you know. Now, 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 Jamie, I know him from his work with Michael Jackson. And Madonna. And Madonna. Yeah, and I think Madonna's probably the one that influenced or introduced him to Kabbalah. But Jamie, I just noticed over the years that he's bulletproof. He's got a team of people and they all love each other and work really well together and they're laser focused on their career. So that's one success. But then there's other kinds of success where people aren't trying to become like the richest person out there, but you know, do cool things. And that's a different kind of success. So when you're asking me that, there are different things. Like, Let's talk about them, yeah. Like so. Tony, <laughs> Tony Testa. Okay. He's one of the most creative people that we've ever met. And I laugh when I even say his name because he, he just will derail you all the time. Like you think you got him. You're like, hey, I got you this job. And he's like, no, I don't really want to do that. Tell yeah. him thank you. I'm like, what are you talking about? <laughs> like, well, I'm going to Greece to work with the director for three months. Like, you are? How much are you getting paid? I'm not getting paid. I'm, I'm going to shadow him for three months. Like, how can you afford to do that? You know, but that's the path that he's on. Do you know what I mean? And everything he does is for artistic reasons. And he's very successful, but he's got this, he's got a whole nother agenda. So different people have different agendas. So when you talk yeah. about like, what do I see? I, I don't necessarily know if there's a, a common thread because there are different kinds of genius out there and different kinds of and those are also different um, value systems for success, yes. right? Like yeah. if somebody's goal was to say, I'm going to make as much money as possible with my yeah. art, yeah. you would shop it differently than if you were to say, I want to be more of a purist or whatever, yeah. which doesn't mean it's going to take you away from money. It's just a different path. No, 100%. <clears throat> right? Yeah. Like taking, yeah. having the foresight to say, you know what, I'm going to take three months to not get paid. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> to just shadow somebody. <laughs> I know. What you're really doing is R&D, right? Yeah. Research and development Absolutely. for your next, in, in, in big companies, um, like, you know, pharmaceutical companies or whatever, they have a budget for that. They say, hey, here's how much we're going to spend on yeah, figuring, out. figuring shit out. Yeah. But as an artist, sometimes we're expected to just, everything must work all the time. And it's like, no, yeah. some projects have to lead to something else, yeah. right? Yeah. What we, about what about like dancers? Are, is there any particular traits that you've seen? I mean, I, I do think that focus has a lot to do with it. Here's something. What makes, what are some, you don't have to say names, but just from a, from a, behavioral standpoint what are things you've seen that have ruined people's careers okay I'm gonna take yeah go ahead <laughs> because i'm really um appreciative of your perspective okay so you just asked me what are things that ruin careers yeah like people who had potential ego. and then yeah ego and i'm sure this comes up in a lot of conversations that you have with people that i've seen ego just kill most careers actually and there's a and i talk about this in the camp that we do is that you know you can be the best dancer in the room but if you're an asshole like that's gonna that's gonna come before you and you're going to, it's going to, it's going to eventually catch up to you. So, and I've seen that happen so many times where diva dancers, diva choreographers, they think that they're everything. And then at the end of the day, people just don't want to work with you anymore. So your career ends up, you know, dusted and people just don't understand what they did. But it's like, you were, you weren't even nice to people. Like people don't understand how important that is in careers, you know? Yeah. They think that talent is all they need. Yeah. Yeah. It's so much more than that. Do you think the ego is necessary for a part of greatness? Like, do you think I mean, that some of the people that are the stars need some level of ego? And then how do you balance that with also being nice? Like, do, 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 you, do you think the people that are the greatest feel that they're the greatest? And they're like, yeah, I'm the shit. Like, do, 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 do you think there's, <laughs> the, the, you think that's necessary? Or have you seen people that are at that level who don't feel that way? Yeah, that's a, you're so funny. You're just making me think like, I, no, it's funny because 
I don't think you have to have an ego to be successful, but if you're asking me if I know anybody without egos that are successful, I'm also gonna say, I don't think I have, <laughs> you know? And, and this is so multi-layered, it's like an yeah. onion, this conversation, because yeah. I don't think ego is a bad thing. Ego can, isn't, right. like, at first look, ego is looked at as a negative thing, but ego also just means confidence too, and right. also means like, you know, self, you know, uh, you know, taking care of yourself. And the concept really, of I, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So I don't, I don't know if that's a bad thing or not. Um, when, have you, because you've also met people early on in their careers and you've seen them and helped been a part of their journey coming up. Um, at this point, are you surprised when you see people make it or do you know off the top, like, oh, this person, in a few years, they're gonna get it? Like, or That's is usually it, the case, but I also, yeah. I started doing this like years ago where I like to be proved wrong. Like there's a lot of people that I'm, I'm very, you know, uh, uh, transparent and saying I was wrong. I thought that they were, weren't going to make it and they did, you know, and I like what that. What do you think changed between you? Do you think you had the wrong perception to begin with or do you think they stepped it up? I think my perception was probably wrong. Mm. Yeah. And I think that, you know, you can change your mind too, you know. Yeah. But there's many times when I was like, oh, I was wrong. And I like that. <laughs> I like to be able to say, you know what? I was, I was wrong. That's <laughs> wrong about that. Yeah. You know? Because I'm a Leo too, so Leos are very strong-headed, and e you know, e ego really runs a lot. So I'm constantly, and it's funny because when I was studying Kabbalah, because I did for a while, and it's great. But one of the things that they had just taught you is about Leos is that you know your pride and everything. And, and I thought, how funny that I'm an agent, like, and that I'm a Leo because pride is everything to a Leo. And right. this is like, as an agent, you have to be really careful that it's not about you because your pride can actually kill a deal can kill the relationship with a client. Like it's not supposed to be about you, it really isn't. So I thought how interesting karmically that I chose a career that where you have to constantly check your pride, constantly. Right. Like any trouble I've ever gone into in my business has been for me letting my ego take over. Like wow. any conflict I've ever gotten in, if I look back at it, it's, it's, that's just me pushing my agenda because of my ego. Yeah. The biggest problems I've gotten into in my career have been for me, taken on too much because I was in a scarcity mindset or, uh -huh. you know, like where I felt that I was low on money or short on opportunity. And I said, you know what? I got to say yes to everything. Yeah. And then I give some things my hundred percent and other things not. So it, it, it created like an inconsistency in my reputation. Yeah. Where some people thought, oh, wow, Brazil's amazing. Other people thought, oh, man, his edits are super like, late. Yeah. Right? And it's like, and, and I was thinking back to like, what, what leads to that, right? Like, what, what could I learn from that? And it's to understand what context I'm operating in. Because when I'm operating in scarcity, my decisions are fear-based. And uh -huh. I'll say, yeah, yeah, I'll finish this edit for you. Not even check in my schedule to see that yeah. I have four other things going on yeah. or whatever, right? And that's all from a, a sense of being a people pleaser. Yeah. Right. So, yeah. so, so for me, it, it was, it was on that side. Um, it was, yeah, just trying to please everybody and then failing. Well, you and I also had a conversation years ago that I remember because you're a Libra. Yeah. And I remember when I was studying astrology that the difference between Leo's and Libra, and, and we had this conversation. It was so clear <laughs> because something happened and I forgot what it was, but I took it personal. Yeah. About what happened. And you were saying from a Libra standpoint, you, feel for them and you want to make it better for them because you you don't you felt bad that they're upset whereas a Leo <laughs> would just get attacked and I would mm. then go in defense mode because I don't like the way they're treating me and you would look at it as oh what can I do to help them because they must but not be in a good place and I thought that is such a difference in yeah. to Leo and Libra thinking and I remember that about you from a long time ago and I do see that's the way you lead a business too you don't 
like your your emotions don't lead in front of you. You're very good at sort of like being able to, you know, like if you are upset, you don't know it right away and you don't operate through fear or through anger or something like that. And there's a lot of people that do. I know a lot of people that do. And in my business, in the agent world, a lot of us do because on the phone, you you know, mm-hmm. lash out before you know it, you're eating <laughs> arguments and stuff like that. <laughs> I learned a lot from being on the phone with people. Like, you, you know, like it's a, it's a talent. It's a talent to be able to not take things personally. Yeah. It's the four agreements. We've talked about this before. Yeah. Like that book, I always have to go back to because I do all four of those things wrong every day. Four agreements. <laughs> don't think things personally. I take everything personally. Don't, don't assume. That's all I do is assume. Um, uh, be impeccable with your word. Yeah. I'm not at all. Yeah. And then the last one's always do your best. I don't yeah. even know if I do that. So yeah. <laughs> like, I have to constantly remember those things. And then you know? it's like, what is our best? What does that even mean to do our best? I mean, our, to me, I guess doing your best just means that you just give it your all. Like you just do, just, you know, like try the best, try as much as you can, that, that you're able to do at that time. What do you think caused you to not be at your best on the days that you're not at your best? If you could audit it. Laziness. Like just not wanting to. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 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 I feel that. Stubbornness, you know? So then when we're saying we should be at our best, for me, what I'm trying to work on are the causes that cause me to not be at my best, right? Like I try to think of, okay, what are, you know, the projects that I do well, what did they have in common? And the projects that I didn't do so well, what did they have in common? Cause it's like doing my best. I feel like I did the best I could do that day, but maybe I didn't set that day up to win to begin with. Uh-huh. Maybe I was up too late the night before. Right, so right. then I'm not, that's not really doing my best either. I'm doing yeah. my best considering I'm hungover, right. but that's not really doing your best. Right. Doing your best is not being hungover, right? right? It's right. like, there's yeah. layers to what it means yeah. to prepare yeah. to do your best. Yeah. I yeah. learned a long time ago that sleep is is crucial for me. Mm. If I go through a night where I don't sleep very well, I have to remember not to engage in any fights because it's like <laughs> I'm like I'm just like this. I'm ready to go, and I've and my this is my daughter that actually taught me that Scarlet because when she was really really young, when something would go like when I would need her the most, she wouldn't she would doesn't respond to that. Mm. Like, like if she felt me needing her, she would be like like that, and it used to drive me crazy that I couldn't like get the response I wanted from her. And I had to sort of like, just go, oh, like that's who she is. And I learned later on, like when I'm sleep deprived, I'm really needy and I need people to react a certain way. And I've had to train myself to like not judge anything. Like if, if I didn't sleep last night, I was here right now, I'd have to remember, like, don't get in a fight with anybody. Right. Don't take things personally. Don't get mad if Mark doesn't, you know, yeah. say hi to me when I walk in the room. Don't get mad if my kids are me. Like everything you have to, you know, so. Shit, I gotta work on that. So it's something I just recently yeah. learned. Like sleep is everything. Like if I have enough sleep, I'm I'm sane. If I don't have enough sleep, I have to make sure that I yeah, you shut know, down. You I, know? I I can relate to that. That's something I've been working on recently too, because I feel that sometimes I overextend myself, so then I overwork. And then I'm extra tired the next day. And mm-hmm. then I'm more demanding yeah. on my team. Yeah. Then I'm like, well, you guys need to fix this. And da, da, da. And, and it's like, th- then it's like, if pe- people don't react right away, then I feel myself getting extra, like, I yeah. don't know, kind of stabby with the way I talk. And then I realize, wait a minute, this is because I feel like I'm slaving myself more than I need to. So then I expect you guys to be like robots for me. And that's not fair. Yeah. That's and not if the you right were well rested, your mindset probably wouldn't have gone to that, you know? So that was something I learned. Yeah. Well, that's why today I, I started, I did my workout early. <laughs> today I went and I already had my chicken sandwich, I already had my smoothie. Well, you know what? I have this really funny thing and my people at my office laugh at me because over COVID, 
there's nothing to do. So I would go to sleep early and I get up really early. Like I love it. Like I was not necessarily a late person, but I go to sleep stupid early now and I get up stupid early. And I, how I early do you get up? I'm up at six, six fifteen, and I'm, I go, I spin every day <laughs> in my garage and then I go to the gym and then I go to work and I do it every day. Mark does that. We, Mark doesn't spin, but we both like work I feel out like That's day. the way to do it. I mean, it's, as, but I have to tell you something, as you get older, it gets harder when you stop. That's one of the reasons why I'm doing consistently. Cause like, I, it wasn't like this, you know, years yeah. ago, but like, if I don't work out one day, the next day, I just really don't want to do it. Like it yeah. gets harder and harder and harder. So the, the easiest thing is just be consistent. Yeah. But it does make me go to bed really early and people in my office laugh at me because they know like it's, you know, like by nine o'clock and like that. And I remember Carrie from Carnival, Carrie yeah. Sice, like called me, you know, a couple yeah. months ago. I was like, are you going to come to Carnival tonight? And I was like, can I be honest with you? <laughs> it's like, it is so past my bedtime. Like, I'm so sorry, but I'm not up that late anymore. Like, I was going to say, so do you, do, you, do you not go out anymore? I do because the thing is when I do go out, I do drink socially. So I definitely want to, like, I'm not going to go out and, go to carnival not have a drink like that's, right, right, that's right. not gonna happen <laughs> but then if i do go out then i just have to know the next day i'm gonna be really tired so i just sort of like it's just like a concession i have to make so if i do, do you still go get out, up early if you go up to i to, can't to, i can't sleep in i don't know what it is yeah but if i go to bed at three in the morning i'm still up at six i yeah. cannot i don't know why but it just it's a, cir not, it's a circadian rhythm i yeah, feel i feel like yeah. that kind of is what i from what i've heard and i don't know shit but i've heard that even if you stay up later you should get up at the same time and then if you need to take a nap yeah in the middle of the day but yeah. the, having the same time to wake up it tells your brain and your body when to release the I don't know, but whatever. it's really affecting me. It's really funny because now I'm sort of just used to this thing where, you know, Mark sleeps way longer than me, but I, sun comes out, I'm up, I'm doing all these things. Yeah. And then like for this podcast, we were going to do it at six o'clock. And, but I, I was in Hawaii last week. So when yeah. I looked at my calendar, it said three, because it was the time change. Yeah. So I thought, okay, three, cool. I'll be yeah. home at six. So yesterday when I looked, it was like six o'clock and I told Courtney, Courtney, it's I was like, like, oh, it's bedtime. It's like yeah. bedtime, <laughs> like that's late. So then, so we both laughed at it, right? Yeah. And then I texted her back. It's like, can you just ask if we can go earlier? And she laughed at me. It's like, they're not going to be able to go earlier. And then when you said you could do three o'clock, she texted me back. She goes, how did you know? I said, Courtney, if you don't ask, you won't know. So who knows? Maybe he could do an early. Well, a lot of, <laughs> a lot of people I interviewed, they have projects going on during the day so i figure i try to make it easier yeah. you know what i mean but yeah. i like talking earlier too this yeah. is i have a peak of energy i tell people that like when you text me saying i'll see you soon i was like it's nap time it's kind of <laughs> it's gonna be dinner time then bedtime <laughs> man it's good to see you man yeah it's good to see you too yeah. so much has happened yeah over the last few years right so much life right like yeah. um your kids have grown up we we're just talking about that how does that yeah. feel it's Having amazing. Kids that are... No, it's amazing. I, I'm friends with my kids. Like, like we, like we're friends now. And I've always loved them, and they love me. But like Violet and I, over pandemic, she lived yeah. with me, and we became friends. And Scarlett and I have like we hang out. Like we hang out. That's and awesome. And honestly, if I'm gonna pick like an evening, socially, it would be with my kids to be social with. Like, yeah, I can see that for sure. My um, my mom just came to visit me. Um, my whole family came to visit me this past weekend. And it was the first time I went out with my mom. Like uh -huh. we went dancing and we went really out, out. like she was like no nah, i want you to take me out i'm like mom for real she's like no for real wow. she doesn't drink or anything and uh -huh. we went to like you know we did the regular day stuff and then we did uh -huh. the comedy show we left the comedy show at like 10 i was like hey guys there's a speakeasy down the street if you guys want to go she was in the middle of the dance floor like voguing with wow. people and stuff and it was just like and she didn't drink anything there no no really? she still doesn't drink no uh -huh. but it was just i i loved connecting with her so like I, just to reflect on what you're saying that yeah. you a night out connecting with your kids yeah is meaningful and i, I felt the same way connecting with my family because I kind of really don't like going out that much in LA 
often, you know, unless it's like, for, most of the times I go out for business reasons. Yeah, It's like some industry event. You know, when I'm hanging out with my friends, I do like nature stuff or whatever, but going out, hanging out with my family, it gave yeah. me a different sense of joy at the club. Yeah. You know? Yeah, for sure. Because it wasn't like I'm trying to impress anybody or I'm trying to win a thing or whatever. It's just yeah. like me and my sister, my brother, my mom. Let's, That's awesome. Let's go dance, you yeah. know? And it's, it made me happy. Family yeah. is a big source of happiness I feel like that me. comes later in life so for a lot of people. At least it did for me. Like you appreciate those things when you are older, you know? Yeah. I, is your uh, family, like your your parents, are they still around? My mom is 96. My father died when I was five. Oh, wow. Yeah. My mom is 96 years old. Wow. Yeah. How's she doing? She's great. She's in a home in Encino. Does she, does she still mentally... Uh... She's kind of there. Like she remembers me and my brother and everything and my, my kids, she knows. And like, if we talk about the house we grew up in or yeah. friends that we had, she knows all that. But if I ask her, like, remember me coming over yesterday, she won't remember that. Like, wow. She doesn't remember. I, I brought my kids to see her and I don't make my kids go see my mom because I hated when my mom used to make me go see my grandma. And I figured I'm not doing that to my kids. If they don't want to yeah. see their grandma, I'm not going to push it. But both of them wanted to see her the other day. So we went to the home mm. and saw her. And it was the most beautiful moment because I looked at my kids, they were crying because they could see me crying. You know, we had masks on so I could see them crying. I was crying and my mom was crying and it was mm -hmm. the most beautiful thing. And I thought it was just, it was so wonderful that that they that they came with me to do that, my mom. And then the next day I saw my mom, I was like, mom, do you remember I brought Violet and Scarlett over? And she's like, you did? I don't remember. <laughs> I was like, okay. <laughs> oh, that's beautiful that they wanted to go. Yeah. They chose to go. Yeah. Was your mom supportive of your artistic endeavors? So much so. My, I have the best mom ever. And was she a very liberal kind of yeah. supportive? I mean, I grew up in the 70s okay. in, in Brentwood. And when my father oh, died- Oh, so you grew up here. Mm -hmm. Oh, so you were at the epicenter yeah. of- Yeah, my mom didn't want to move us out of Brentwood when my dad died. So she kept the house and it was a big house. So we rented out rooms. Okay. My whole life we had, I had borders. Airbnb before the game. Uh, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and my mom ran a nursery school. And she also was a swimming teacher in the summertime. So my okay. house was from seven in the morning till eight o'clock at night, kids and parents going through the whole day. My mom was in the pool all the time. Okay. My, my growing up years, yeah, teaching swimming. And then she ran a nursery school. And because of me growing up in Brentwood, I had so many kids, friends that were rich and famous. And I used to always wish that my mom was famous because <laughs> all my kids that like, all my friends yeah. had like famous parents, you know? Yeah. And I remember one time I ran into Harrison Ford was at a at a restaurant. Okay, and I know that he his kids went to my mom's school and that he built a room for because he's a carpenter. He he offered to build a like a spare room at my mom's nursery school. So I went up and I introduced myself, and he just told me the most beautiful story about how my mom helped him and his wife just sort of like maneuver through the whole parent thing and how important that was to have someone like my mom there to give them advice and stuff. And I. It was so amazing that I realized that my mom is a rock star. Like oh, this whole time, I wish she was famous, but then I've got all these people tell me that my mom like helped them so much. And I was like, wow, my mom is totally famous, like in a way better way. Yes. You know? So my mom has always been super supportive of me. Like, yeah. That's beautiful. Yeah. Which is why I've been like that with my kids. And I also didn't grow up with um, boundaries or punishment. So that could have been a mistake that I did <laughs> with my kids. My kids will say that it was yeah. a mistake, but I didn't punish my kids. I, did, I didn't, um, they didn't have any, there was no repercussions. Like, there was no, I never grounded them or anything like that. Right. They should j just kind of figure it out, right? Uh -huh. like, like my mom had sense. me do. Yeah. yeah. Like I don't, I don't ever remember my mom ever hitting me or yelling at me or anything like that. Yeah, same. I think there was only a couple of times where I was just wilding out as a kid. But for the most part, my parents felt more like they were friends. They were just like helping me figure myself out. Yeah. 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 I can see that you had that kind of growing up too. Yeah. I think, I think. Well, they were dancers. They were both, you know, oh, I grew up yeah. my mom and my dad and my biological father. And my stepfather, oh, yeah. they're all 
you know, my mom was with the Joffrey Ballet, Amazing. you know, and all yeah. that. So just for me, I just grew, to me, art just felt normal. Part of yeah, like yeah. growing up as a kid, yeah. you know, all my babysitters were the dancers. <laughs> yeah, you know, I grew yeah. up hanging out backstage with all the lighting guys and yeah. the stage people and all that. So every time, even to this day, when I go to a concert, I feel weird not being able to go backstage because uh -huh. it just feels like that's where your home is. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course, I should be back there with yeah. the, at the front of house with the guys yeah. and checking on the walkie talkies and yeah. you know what I mean. Like it just, I, I really like that. I like the culture of putting in effort to create an experience for people. And then people that are working hard, dealing with their own shit, take time out of their day to come to see a show, to come see the ballet or the comedy show or mm -hmm. whatever. And then the curtains open and we give them an experience. Uh -huh. That to me is, is beautiful. Interesting, you got that from your family for sure. Yeah, that's yeah. why I like movies, all kinds of art, you yeah. know? Like one of my favorite things to do with my family is we like going to watch stuff and then talking about it afterwards. Mm. Like we'll like watch a movie and then hang in the kitchen and talk for like two hours about that movie. Wow, that's Breaking so cool. it down what we like. My mom will talk about this scene and my sister and this and, and we're all just hanging. Like we love connecting about art. Like mm -hmm. it's, a, it's a shared family thing. Mm -hmm. That's really yeah. cool. Yeah, man, I like it. I feel very fortunate to grow up in an artistic world. Yeah. You know, um, so many beautiful people, so much variety. Yeah. You know, just like you as a, you know, you get to have so much talent come through your side. Me as a, you know, cinematographer and director, I've seen so many great people in front of my camera. Yeah. Right? That it's yeah. just, it rubs off. Not just yeah. great because they're successful. I mean, just like awesome human beings. Yeah. Yeah. You know, that happen to be creating stuff. Yeah. It's been a nice journey, man. Yeah. Good. <sighs> Tony. I really appreciate every time we talk. I, I never feel a sense of pressure. That's good. <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. I think um, it feels so human when I talk to you. Like it almost escapes me how much you've achieved and your company has achieved <laughs> when we connect. Uh -huh. And I always find that so That's really good. beautiful. Yeah. You know, I think other people, not everybody, but some people when you talk to them, there's like, they're throwing their pedigree around. Yeah. And how they handle a conversation. Yeah. I've never felt that from you. That's good. Yeah. I really appreciate that. Oh, good. Thank you. <laughs> um, I have a question. How did your mom feel about you smoking weed? I grew up in the 70s. So my mom's never had an issue. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, uh, yeah, I, I didn't smoke till I was in my 20s. And then, um, I mean, I don't think I, I did like, in, I mean, it wasn't like my mom's like, you can smoke in the house anytime you want, but right. she, she knew. I mean, I remember a funny thing when we were kids, cause yeah. you know, I'd smoke, <laughs> I was a kid. I remember we were, my neighbor and I would smoke, we're like 14, 15 years old in the, in his garage and he was our neighbor. And my mom used to let me grow pot plants. So I like had one little pot plant by the pool, like no it was shit. like this big. And because Paul and I, that was my neighbor, Paul, we would like get stoned in his garage and smoke would grow out, she would smell the smoke or the, the people she's teaching swimming to would smell. So <laughs> I would come home and she'd be like, gotta get rid of that plant. It's yeah. everyone saying it smells. <laughs> it's not the plant, mom, it's me next door. I'm <laughs> it's so incredible just watching the, the cultural change around it, right? Like yeah. there's still so many people in prison in America now. It's crazy. For just holding weed. Yeah, and now there's like I know. billboards everywhere. I know, it's, it's really funny how all of a sudden what was illegal a couple years ago is fine now. It's an yeah. essential business during the pandemic. Yeah. You know, yeah. Um, I feel like the next wave is going to be psychedelics, like mushrooms for therapeutic reasons and I, all that. I mean, I hear this from my kids a lot, the microdosing thing. You know, 
for me, when I was growing up, when we did mushrooms, it was, you know, <laughs> tripping. But now there's people doing it that aren't to do it for tripping. They're doing it for, you know, stress relief and, and anti-depression. And yeah. I know people that don't do drugs at all, but microdose, and they do it before they work out. Like yeah. they run and stuff like that. And I think, wow, I haven't tried that, but that sounds amazing. <laughs> yeah, you yeah. know, it's so interesting the way culturally we perceive things as, as this negative thing. And then at the end of that decade, it's like yeah. a positive thing, right? And it goes through cycles and cycles. I mean, weird, weird cycles. And then like Roe versus Wade, now we're back 50 years. I mean, it's so weird how things go forward and then they go back. I mean, I guess that's the nature of politics, I guess, actually. But it's just weird how we see things move forward and we see things roll back so far, you know? Are you optimistic about the future? Yeah, I'm, I'm an optimistic person. Okay. But the reason why I say that with temperament is that, that because I have kids, I'm deeply concerned about stuff for my kids, not so much for me. And I don't know if, if I don't, I've never, I haven't asked my kids this, but I don't know if my kids want to have kids because of that. And I think that that's the scary thing is I'm optimistic because if you look at the way the world always been, we've always figured it out, but it seems like it's, you know, like it's <laughs> closing in. I mean, climate change, I think is so scary. And I don't think we're, I don't think we're really dealing with how severe it is you know like everybody just says the way that's talked about it's like oh if we stop watering our lawns <laughs> we're going to be fine it's like no that's not going to actually do anything you know yeah. and i don't know if there's a way of rolling it back i feel like we're just being told that so that we don't all just like run off a cliff and jump but i, I mean, have a, i have a hot take for that i want to share with you yeah. um because i was thinking about this right because i do feel this wave of pessimism right Reasonably so. I think now we have more access to information. We're more aware yeah, yeah, of sure. the problems. Yeah. I think before we were just less aware. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Maybe this is just a crazy talking point. I don't no, think. No, you're right. I understand what you're saying. I, I don't think things have been better because if you're saying they're at the worst they've been now, then you're basically saying, let's make it great again. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So yeah. which one is it? Is yeah. it the worst? Because if it's yeah. the worst, then you want to go back in time, yeah. right? I mean, if yeah. Roe Ro v. Wade yeah. has gone back in time, yeah. right? But maybe, maybe instead of saying the world is bad, I should not bring kids into it. I wonder why there isn't a conversation of the world is bad. I should definitely bring kids to it so that we can make it better. Yeah, I think there's been um, narratively a loss of... Uh, I don't even know what the word I'm saying, like contribution to the to the solution. Mm -hmm. I feel like, um, not that I have the answers, I don't fucking know, but I think generally speaking, I'm hearing so much conversation of things sucks, everything sucks, so fuck it. How about everything sucks, let's make it better. Yeah. Let's, let's get into it, Yeah, right? It's like the only way the future is gonna be better is if we make it better and That's our right. kids make it better right. and then their yeah. kids make it better, right? It's, I do know a lot of kids that are really active, like a client yeah. of mine, Amy Tinkham, her daughter, I think is 14 or 15. She's really political and really active. And when I see and I hear what she's doing, I think, okay, there's hope. Because if, as long as there are kids out there that want to make a change, that aren't just defeated, then we have some hope, you know? Yeah. I mean, most of the people that are running the world, quote unquote, doing bad things, they're going to die eventually. Yeah. Those jobs are going to be open at some point, right? Yeah. Like somebody yeah. has to be the new mayor, yeah. the new president, yeah. the new whatever, right? And I don't know. I I really hope that we can inspire each other to be more active in solving things. I think so too. I think one thing that we're dealing with now that we haven't quite really grasped, and I don't think we've had this before, is I think for some people, the pandemic was really, really dark time. And I think that there's a psychological 
deficit that's happened. We're, we're not even, we're just starting to see what's happening, you know, but I, I think that it's really rooted in people being really, really scared and unhappy for those couple of years. I was really fortunate because I live at home. My family's here, a beautiful home with my dogs. I was with my kids, my boyfriend, like every, you know, everybody was fine. So I was actually one of those people that I loved. It. <laughs> I loved being home. And I remember thinking, we're going to regret when things go back to normal, we're going to miss this time. Right. And I remember everyone like, no, we're going to miss it. This is the pandemic. We want to go back. But I thought, no, we're going to, people are going to, we're going to miss this because this is an incredible thing. But then I also realized there's a lot of people out there that had a really hard time. And that's what I think is causing a lot of the situation we're now. And I don't, I don't think we've even touched. I don't think yeah. it's even, it's not even surfaced yet, but I think there's a lot of bad shit that's psychologically for sure well you know we were talking before the interview that business-wise the pandemic has been incredible for me yeah i went from at the beginning of the pandemic basically losing everything and being broke yeah to now being in the best position i've ever been in helping my mom out with rent paid all my debt like literally just transformed life literally i had built stuff before i lost i literally was like I had situations happen to where I got I like evicted from my apartment at the beginning of the, wow. the pandemic. Like I had loaned somebody some money, they didn't pay me back. Wow. It was bad decisions, and then right, and then so financially I'm doing great, but emotionally we were all tested so much, right? Yeah. So much changed in our in our personal lives, right? And I think, and I'm just talking about myself. I feel like I got into a coping pattern, right? Like okay, cool. Well, I can't go out and see anybody, so I'm just gonna work, 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 work. And then I was working so much that like I wasn't taking care of myself. And now I have all these coping patterns that I'm trying to let go of, right? I think I don't think we even realized how much it affected us yeah. psychologically. Yeah. You know, because some people are um were like high functioning, uh I don't know, just high functioning when we're coping, right? Like just because yeah. I'm delivering projects doesn't mean that you're okay that yeah, i'm okay yeah. <laughs> yeah. there's yeah. a big difference right yeah. and i think sometimes i can fool myself into thinking i'm okay because i'm delivering projects yeah. it's like well yeah how am i really doing yeah right yeah. like I, my family came to visit me this past weekend and i haven't had a weekend off in like four weeks why yeah why it's like i haven't been to the beach in five months wow and i live here it took yeah. my family flying here for me to go yeah it's almost like i was like self-punishing myself to stay in the room and keep yeah. working and yeah, must isn't keep it working. how we do this for ourselves yeah yeah that's yeah. it's right there yeah yeah i don't know man i i we had this really interesting thing and i'm saying it's a whole nother conversation but it's really deep where right before the pandemic julie and i dealt with some really big blows and at the time we had no idea what was happening but it just seemed like the world was against us and I really didn't even know who my friends were anymore. Like it was really scary moment. I've never had anything like this happen before. And then the pandemic hit. And then Julie and I were on Zoom for two years with our office and we rebuilt our company. And we were, it turned out to be a, the biggest blessing. And I remember my friend Melanie Benz said to me when it was all happening, she said, you know, this is the universe taking something out. They're making space for something new. And I believe in that kind of stuff, but I remember her saying it. And that's exactly what happened. And when I look back at what happened through the pandemic, Julie and I reinvented our company and the team of people that we have now could not have ever asked for anything better than this. Like we are so well built now and well oiled, like in a way that we've never been before. And it took a big group of people leaving and we didn't know why to make it even better. And now when I look back on it, it's like, thank you. Like I had no idea what the universe was doing. We thought it was horrible. We thought the world was closing in on us and yeah. it turned out to be the biggest blessing and it grew our business. 
and it was probably worked out for the other people as well and whatever they were doing because you know, if they weren't happy there but you know it doesn't even expand. matter because yeah. it's like you know that all the yeah. stress and worry about what was going on it actually made made us better and it made us bigger and better than we were before so when i look back and i was like it's just so weird how the universe works because i we didn't ask for it and we, when it was happening we thought it was a bad thing and it turned out to be a very very good thing but how weird is that because we didn't that interesting we didn't it was like a gift yeah it was a gift yeah but it was happening we thought the world was crumbling i mean it was one of the darkest periods i've ever gone through and it turned out to be the biggest blessing i've ever experienced same yeah <laughs> weird? yeah it's like so then it goes to, to bring up the question and i talk about this a lot on the podcast like what is pain yeah what does it mean when things don't go our way like is it i mean should we purposely try to make everything go bad no but when things don't work out there's a potential gift in there yeah for us to become more yeah it wasn't like woe is me yeah. you still had to get up and do shit yeah but yeah. now it seems like you guys are stronger than you were before yeah yeah but i deal with this a lot though like what if things don't happen the way that you thought because i thought i was going to sell copycat <laughs> but it turned into so many other things and i'm so proud of the things that became at the time i was like oh shit, we didn't sell it but now it's like oh wow the, by not selling it gave me a chance to recreate it and reinvent it which made it better yeah you know so i you know i we have to remember like and you know this because we've had a conversation about this that the, the the process is really what we're supposed to be enjoying like the you know the, the destination is not supposed to be our full focus like the destination is where we get but it's not supposed to be about that it's supposed to be enjoying the process and that's really what we're supposed to be doing this whole time you know yeah so and maybe important. sometimes when we're um too focused on destination we miss out on the bigger picture of what it could be yeah there's this guy on the internet um i think his name is Sadhguru. i'm pretty sure it's his quote he was saying um um, I hope your dreams don't work out and you get something much better. Wow. Love that. Love that. Right. He's like, I hope none of what you plan works out and that you're surprised by all the wonderful things the universe actually brings you. That's so deep. Right. And it's yeah. like, it's so interesting because I go back and forth between being outcome focused I, I understand and, that. and intentional focused, right? Because mm -hmm. you talk about like Jamie, people like Jamie King, right? Mm -hmm. Or like when we're building a business, you know, we have a strategy. We're building this thing for this event and da da da. da. But then also let it develop. Yeah. And not be afraid to have it go in different directions, you know? Not be married to the original idea. Yeah. Right? Because if you so were still important. stuck on copycat, so you wouldn't important. have gotten to this point. I know. I think about this all the time. Like how it's so funny how you think you're going for one thing and then it turns out to be something completely different. Yeah. And it's better, you know? Yeah. I think Scorsese had a quote about um, there's a movie you think you're making and the movie you're actually making. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. I love that. Didn't you introduce me to that guy, Gary V? Wasn't yeah. it you that years yeah. ago? Yeah. I remember you told me to, and I watched him for a long time. Like just, I liked his sound bites and I liked the way that he was looking, the way that he was looking at life right now. Yeah. You know? Me too. Me too. What are you optimistic about? Everything we're talking about, like I'm like going back to when you asked me if I'm pessimistic, I'm, I'm an optimistic person. And it, it's so funny because it's that glass half full, half empty. It's such, a, it's such a cliche thing, but I feel like it's really true. There are, there are two different kinds of people in this, in this world. People that view life as glass half full and half empty. And I don't know. It's like, to me, it's black and white when you see people like that. Like I'll know within talking to somebody in five minutes, which one it is. Mm -hmm. And as much as I do think people have the capacity to change if they want, I don't think you ch can change that. Like it's one of the things that's like a, just who you are. And I think it could also be conditioned, though, for us to feel that, oh, if I'm not talking about everything that's wrong in the world, then it means I don't care. And I want to show you that I care. So let me just talk to you about what's wrong. Uh -huh. Yeah, that's I, interesting. I yeah. feel like there's some level of that as well, mm -hmm. right? Um, 
Like I've seen sometimes people get attacked on the internet for being positive about something. Like how can you be positive when everything's wrong world? It's like, well, shit, there's... <laughs> Do you know something? And this is like another, yeah. another discussion too, but one of my concerns about coming here and talking freely with mm -hmm. you is the repercussions on the internet because yeah. of what I've seen happen this past year. And like, again, I don't really want to go into it because I, I yeah. don't want to be attacked. But the level of attack of the dance community in particular on social media, what I witnessed over COVID. Again, I want to be so careful what I'm saying because I don't want this to be taken wrong by people, but I've never seen that happen in the dance community before. And it's it's scary and it makes me want to have nothing to do with it, which is why, again, yeah. doing something like this is scary because it's like you can say the simplest thing and somebody could mishear you and then go off on you. And there's this thing on the internet where people think it's okay just to bash people. Like, um, yeah. it, like it's almost like a cathartic experience to share your story on the internet. But it's so one-sided because if you're bashing somebody else, they don't they don't really have the opportunity to to talk for themselves. So it's really one-sided. And I've seen a lot of that. So it's funny that we're talking because I didn't know if I wanted to bring this up or not. But yeah. if, like, if you were to say to me, what's the one thing you're concerned about about the dance community? It would be that is that we there's a lot of people trying to tear the other person down. And I've never seen that before in the dance world. Yeah. And I think like in any industry, there's many corrections to be made. Yeah. Yeah. But I don't know, man. I, I think um, from my perspective, I think we're all struggling. I think it doesn't matter where you are in your career. Yeah. yeah. In life, some people have different privileges or whatever yeah. advantages. I think everybody's hurting and everybody's dealing with their own unresolved mm -hmm. trauma. Mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. and maybe my perspective that's limited, I try to see the best in people, right? Even if somebody has done something that's quote that's unquote the That's the bad, you're talking about it's Libra just like, it's the Libra in you that you see the best in people. <laughs> yeah. That's a talent to do that. Well, okay, like this, not to compare people to dogs, but for example, like my dog Brazzy, right? Um, if I take him out right now, he sees another dog, he's probably gonna wanna start a fight. So from the <laughs> outside, it looks like bad dog. Mm -hmm. But what I know, is that he didn't get neutered till he was like five. So when you take a dog that's not neutered to the dog park and other dogs see him, they, they gang up and fight. Other male dogs that are neutered mm -hmm. will fight dogs that still have, you know. Mm -hmm. And uh, so he became, he was bullied so much as a young puppy that now when he's other dogs, he's like, what are you looking at? What are you looking at? Who? <laughs> you so know? Funny you know that. So, yeah. so, so it's yeah. like, does it mean it's okay? No, I want to train him out of it. But you understand where it's coming from, which, yeah. It's a defense mechanism. Yeah. What he's really saying is, I'm afraid. Yeah. Please don't hurt me. But it's coming out like I'm going to fuck you up. <laughs> right? So I, I just try to apply that as much as I can when I look at other people. And um, I really hope that this revolution that we're going through right now can get to the point to where we get into the healing phase more. Yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah. I agree. You know, because, um, everybody's made mistakes. Yeah. There's not a single person walking yeah. that doesn't have something that's like, Oh shit. <laughs> that yeah. one. And it's just like, yo, we all want to do better. But you brought up yeah. a really good point. Like we all make mistakes, but this in this world of social media being relatively new to our culture, like if you yeah. think about it, it's not, you know, 10, 15 years old now your mistakes are being like called out in a way that was never before and that's the part that's scary right now for a lot of people is like you know we all made mistakes but we didn't all have people like flashing in front of us and getting likes because of it, you know what i mean like let me take your mistake let me share it with everybody and get everybody to hate you and look how many people hate you like that didn't exist back in the day you know what i mean so we're dealing with a lot of pressure right now to you know, you know? when um you say a trans person's name what their name was before they transitioned it's called dead naming 
Wow. Um, so like, you know, if, if I were, uh -huh. so like mm -hmm. if, if I were to call Caitlyn Jenner, Bruce Jenner, uh -huh. right? It's considered offensive because I'm referring uh -huh. to who they used to be. Uh -huh. Why don't we extend that same privilege to everybody to say, well, the, the, the Brazil and Tony today yeah. is different than yeah. the Brazil and Tony five years ago, yeah. 10 years yeah. ago. Yeah. Right. It's yeah. like, I'm, yeah. I feel like I'm better than the last week version of me. I'm like, oh, last week I had no idea. This and, week I figured it out. And you should be okay. Like, that's, yeah. you're, you're said it exactly right. Like we should have the ability to, to grow and to change and to be accepted and all that kind of stuff, you know. But people really love to just say, uh-uh, six years ago you yeah. wronged somebody. Yeah. <laughs> you don't deserve to be here anymore. You know, like it's, it's yeah. that strong. Like that's scary. It's yeah. like an overcorrection. Yeah, is an overcorrection. You yeah. know, but I think the truth is everybody has pain. Yeah. And it, it used to, I think it used to be to where nobody was able to speak out about any pain. Yeah. And then it was like, unleash it. And yeah. now we're saying, we're all talking yeah. about our pains. And I think there's still some left to go. I think you're over, yeah, I do too. But I think you're, the wording of what you just said is really good. It's overcorrection. You know, I think yeah. we're all dealing with that on so many levels, you know. Because there's so much, so much room for, for growth everywhere. Mm -hmm. Everything could be better. Mm -hmm. The government could be better. I could be better. Mm -hmm. The food system could be better. Education, mm -hmm. everything about our lives mm -hmm. could be better. But I think that's why I'm optimistic like you, because I'm optimistic to say, well, we can make it better. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like there's, we can find a better way of doing whatever it is that we do. You know, and it's funny because the world has, does have a way of correcting itself. I mean, it's funny because when you're in it, like I know when the pandemic first hit, I just, not that I'm doomsday, but that, oh my God, how we, this is not gonna, we're not going to come out of the other side of this thing. And now it's almost like it doesn't exist anymore. Nah. Like everyone's back and we're talking about, you know, the flu we had a couple yeah. last year. But when it was happening, I remember thinking, oh shit, like, are we watching everything just crumble? Like, did you, you ever know? have, because you've lived more life than me, have you, was there ever another big oh shit moment like the pandemic that you remember? No, 9-11 was really scary. Yeah. Because it was just such a sh shocker to the entire world. But no, this pandemic thing, it was, I've never seen anything like this before. Like a global crisis where yeah. everybody was. Yeah. The whole world shut down. And I remember when it was first starting, my brother called me and he's like, just so you know, you need to go to the market and you need to fill up on food and you need to <laughs> stockpile. <laughs> right. And I got off the phone and I went and told my, to Violet's room. I was like, I didn't know my brother was an alarmist. Like, yeah. he's freaking me out. Like, he's really like saying stupid weird things like go stockpile food and all that and yeah. both violet and i laughed we're like oh my god it's yeah. like dad your brother's just and then i went to i was at soho house and i was with philip shabib and, yeah. I, and i love philip so much and i respect him and i remember having this conversation with him and he went oh we did that we filled up our homes we and i was, I was like <laughs> what and that's when i knew it was real when i think yeah. somebody like him yeah went to that and then sure enough the toilet paper thing happened <laughs> all, all stuff. i never did stockpile i still just didn't i just couldn't believe that it was going to be like that but it was it was scary there for a minute you know yeah i think that um my uh my trauma kind of helped out during the pandemic because i'm used to being in emergency mode uh-huh <laughs> and in yeah. survival mode yeah so when the whole world went into survival mode i kind of felt at home i was yeah, like oh <laughs> what made you how did you, why are you, why do you say that? What made you be in survival mode? <clears throat> uh, when I moved to LA, I had no money. I came here with like one month's worth of rent, no job lined up. And I was more focused on opportunity to create than saving money, which is funny. I was talking about this on another podcast that intellectually I understood money quite well. Like I could have a conversation and sound like I knew what I was talking about, mm -hmm. but I was broke majority of my career. I never really saved it. Or if I did, I would give it to friends, whatever, you know what I mean? Yeah. And um, 
And maybe I used that as pressure. Maybe subconsciously I was emotionally addicted to feeling like I'm about to run out of money, so therefore I must hustle. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. I think because I yeah, was I so used to that, I was recreating my own trauma. And then when I would get comfortable, I would like spend all my money again. <laughs> yeah. And then be low on money, so oh, I have to hustle again. And it just became this, this pattern of always being in survival mode. Yeah. Right. And um, I think a doing, lot of people in the dance world do that, <laughs> by the way. Yeah. You know, it's um, it, take, it takes a lot to try to break out of it. You know, I started doing therapy over the last uh, year and um, going to more seminars to help me do some trauma release work and just realizing the things that I thought were normal. Like I like it got to the point where my normal is emergency mode. Like I used to go to bed watching like Mission Impossible movies yeah. because I was like, oh, yeah, that's that's yeah. how life is for me. Yeah. It's like, we're on a mission. Nothing yeah. else matters. No sleep, you know? And yeah. now I'm realizing, it's like, wait, that's not normal. I shouldn't be in emergency mode all the time. That's yeah. not good for my health. It's yeah, not good for my cortisol levels, yeah. for my heart rate, for my relationships, anything. So I had this fear that I would lose motivation if I became comfortable. That like I had I to be a lot of people stressed. Feel that way. I understand that, yeah. I had to be stressed to be motivated. And now I'm trying to tap into motivation from gratitude and creation instead of survival. Mm -hmm. Like I still have ambition, but I don't think ambition needs to come from a sense of desperation. Yeah, I agree. You know, and I think that's the shift that I'm working on. You know, it's funny, I was having this conversation with somebody that works for me and he was, he's the, our accountant and he was talking about just a stress level that he's having with some stuff. And he mm -hmm. called me yesterday and he was like, you know, I'm this is very stressful for me right now and blah, 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 blah. And I, just, and I said to him, I was like, you know what? You can't be this way because we need you too much. So if you continue down this path, you're going to you're going to explode and we're going to not going to like that. So I was like, do me a favor, shut down. Like I know I'm yeah. your boss, but you need to shut down and stop because that you're scaring me right now because he was like warning us that he's overloaded. And I was like, no one needs you to be overloaded because it's just going to make us all panic. So whatever is going on right now, take a step back and to get some rest because we need you. You know, I was letting him know, like, we need you. We need you calm because if you're not, you're the leader. If you're not calm, like, we're all going to be flipping out. So do me a favor and, like, I appreciate you wanting to work so hard for MSA, but shut down now. Like, go That's eat great. something and then go to bed, please. Because, <laughs> you know what I mean? I need, we need you tomorrow. You That's know? great that you were able to do that. I yeah. think it's so important. I mean, I think yeah. we all have to, like, I used to call them daily vacations. I think it's really important that you spend some of your day not working. I think you have to, you know, I'm not one of those people that likes to just, I'm going to work six days a week, then have a cheat day. Like the whole concept of it, you know, <laughs> you can diet all week and then have one day where you do, like don't, like that doesn't make any sense to me. It's like, why don't you just every day yeah. eat well and then you don't have to like do the cheat day. But yeah. I feel that way about stress too and I feel that way about work. Like I, I'm not comfortable with the idea of I'm going to work until I go to bed at night and I'm going to work all week and then this weekend I'll enjoy myself. It's like, no, you should... Every day, you should make sure you shut down for a minute and relax and not have to deal with the stress, you know? And recharge. Yeah. Especially when you're like um, an artist or self-employed, when there's no exact cap. Yeah. It's not like I go to yeah. a job and I leave. Yeah. I could work 24 hours yeah. a day. Yeah. There's no shortage of things to be done. Yeah. So a lot of times, I'm my own worst boss where I'll give myself a week's worth of work to do and say, I do it tonight. Yeah. No, that's <laughs> so why. Why? Again, that's why that's that's why I joke about this with my little er, my er, going to bed early thing because it's it's really about me like prioritizing. Going, I can stay up, or I can go to bed and recharge and just get up super early tomorrow. Like I get so much done before I even go to work now because mm. I get up so early. Like all my 
most of my stuff is done before like eight o'clock, eight o'clock in the morning. Cause I feel you. I'm just like, but then it means I like four o'clock. I'm like, this is, I came here at three o'clock. This is my end of my day. Like I'm going to yeah. go home and relax. From here. I'm not going to go back to the work and try to crank out some more invoices. Like I'm, you know, I'm, that's going to wait yeah. till tomorrow. Cause I'm going to make sure I'm show up tomorrow. Cause I actually, I love what I do so much. I want to always keep it that way. I don't want everybody that person that complains or doesn't like what I'm doing. Cause the minute I don't like what I'm doing, then you're going to see it all over me. You know what I mean? I feel like, and it'll affect the company and the people around yeah, you. Everybody, like what I was saying to our accountant, it's like, please take care of yourself because we need you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't want to hear that you're stressed out. Like that is not going to help anybody. So and there's also a law of diminishing returns, right? Like, you know, if, if I'm making X amount of money and I want to make double the money, I could either work twice the hours yeah. or I could make my hours twice as valuable. Yeah. I know not everybody has the, yeah. the yeah. situation to do that, but yeah. from an artist and business standpoint, that's what I'm learning to do is just to make better decisions, right? Yeah. Like it's, I don't have to work seven days a week for my business to be successful. Yeah. I should make the five days really count. Yeah. Am yeah. I wasting time those five yeah. days? Am I doing bullshit projects that don't have anything to do with what I want to do? Yeah. Right. I think realizing that I'm actually wasting a lot of time on nonsense mm -hmm. <laughs> and folk, you know, 80% of my money comes from 20% of my operations. Yeah. Let me just do that 20 really good, you yeah. know? And that's funny. That's yeah. the calculation that we use too. A lot of people say that like yeah. with the agencies, like, 80% of your business comes from 20% of your clients. You oh, I mean? same. Oh my God. Yeah. It's, and, and now 95% of my business comes from yeah. <laughs> one yeah. of my projects, <laughs> yeah. you know? And, um, yeah, that's so cool. Like dude, 10 years ago, you wouldn't know that that's what's happening. You know, I, I'm, I'm great. I feel like I'm just getting started in LA. Do you know, I feel that way too. What? And I, I wonder, I ask myself a lot, like what makes me feel that way when I meet somebody that inspires me, it's like I'm starting all over again mm -hmm. and it doesn't feel taxing or I'm not like, it's, it's the strangest thing. But like when I mentioned Philip Shabib, I think that guy is so talented. And I remember thinking a couple of years ago, like I've been doing this for 20 some years. And then I meet somebody like him and it makes me just want to start right back again. Like yes. Every, it brings life yeah, back into yeah. it. That's why you look so young. Yeah, <laughs> it, is, it is, but it's just, yeah. I love that about the business that we're in, that we have the ability to constantly be re-inspired. Cause if I wasn't doing that, I wouldn't still be doing what I'm doing. Like I would have, faded out for sure yeah but i just keep on finding reasons to be more inspired like oh my god like i want to be part of this team like i want to <laughs> you know what i mean it just gets me going again all all over again absolutely because there's so much more that we can give because as creators yeah. right entrepreneurs yeah it's it's a giving paradigm yeah right like you're only successful as a business if you create something that people want yeah so at the end of the day it's like you're channeling what can we collab on to give to the people that the people will enjoy. You know what? It's funny with this conversation, I learned something with Mark. I went to, he goes to Mosaic, which is a church <clears throat> and it's a great place. And it's funny for me because I'm Jewish. So mm -hmm. me going to church is a funny thing. Like I've been to yeah. church now more than I've been to temple growing up, you know? Yeah. And it's funny because I, I love it. I'm not a religious person, but I am a spiritual person for sure. And they had this really great speech about how we use the word blessed and how overused the word is. You know, someone sneezes, bless you. And he said, yeah. well, now you don't say bless you. Now you say, are you tested for COVID? <laughs> you know? But it was talking about the word blessed and that we've kind of misunderstood the meaning of the word because blessed doesn't mean you're blessed. Blessed actually means you have the ability to help somebody else. Mm. Like blessed is actually being able to share that with somebody. And it's such an interesting distinction because we grew up thinking blessed means I'm blessed. But to be blessed means that you have the ability to to yes, spread love, to you know be I mean? a blessing. Yeah, to be to be a blessing. That's the word I'm looking for. Yeah, and when I heard that, I thought that changes everything. 
because then it's really not about you getting, but it's about you being able to give like that, you know, and that, and moving that forward. And that's where the blessing is by making somebody else feel blessed. But that's what JFK was talking about, right? Asking not what your country can do for you, what you can do for the country, right? And um, I think it feels better too. Like whenever I'm in, well, I'm definitely a really good receiver, but I think when I'm too focused on what I'm getting, I feel my vibration get lower. Yeah. Cause then it's like, I just want to get more, give yeah. more, give me more. Right. But when I tap into giving, not from a martyr standpoint, but I'm, when I'm really tapped into like creating and giving, I get more energy. Yeah. Right. Like yeah. I feel like when I help somebody else out, when I, when I feel like I've given, yeah, it makes me feel better yeah. than most of the times when I receive. I think that's the purpose of religion. Cause I think that that's actually what religion is trying to teach people is like the whole idea of serving and the idea of, helping people actually makes you stronger, you know? Because I, I, I'm the same way too, that I think that many times I get caught up in receiving and I think that actually does lower my vibration too. And I think that I'm, my vibration is definitely higher when I'm not trying to get something for myself, but when I find myself wanting to do something for somebody else, you know? Because then we also, like, you know, you mentioned that uh, dancer at your uh, show who you saw uh, come in, you didn't know her and she won, yeah. right? She yeah. was giving herself yeah. on stage, yeah. right? And it's like, I bet that felt better then I don't know, but I, I bet it felt great for yeah. her, yeah. right? To feel that like she gave her all, she expressed yeah, herself she fully, right? And then to get awarded for it, it's like um, she gave the audience a great feeling. Yeah, yeah. Right? Something about that when you're in, that's why I love live art. Yeah, me too. You know, like I constantly go to comedy shows and music shows and that kind of stuff, just see somebody mm-hmm. pouring themselves out, you mm-hmm. feel it. Mm-hmm. You feel it in the room. When there's yeah, an amazing do. performer, yeah. it comes off the stage. Yeah, it does, yeah. Yeah, it's giving. Well, it's right. interesting because in, in business, I talk about this a lot, Vegas residencies. You know, if I was a manager, I would have my artist in a Vegas residency because I think it's the, mo- I think it's the most awesome place right. to perform. And the reason for it is because you can still live in Los Angeles. You can go for the weekends. You put up, treated mm-hmm. really well, and then you get to come home. And I've seen so many performers in Vegas and the best ones are the ones that do what you're talking about. Like the, the, the queen of them all is Celine Dion. Mm. When you go see her show, she gives so much and you feel like you, you fall in love with her just because who she is. And then I've seen people in Vegas that you don't get anything from. So I'm always telling like managers, go see like this person, this person, this person. Yeah. Robbie Williams was also brilliant, brilliant the way that he shares. I mean, it's a, it's a different experience when you watch a performer that just gives the whole time, you know? Yeah. Gwen Stefani was amazing. And I remember having a conversation with Gwen Stefani's manager. They, she called me about a client when she was doing the Vegas residency and I didn't know Gwen or her yeah, manager yeah. was like, do me a favor, go see this, this, and this. Don't go see this, this, and this. Because if you're a manager, you need your client to see this. And when I, and I was lucky enough to see Gwen Stefani last year and she did it. She completely like, you feel like your best friends when you leave, yeah, uh. leave there. And you know, and there's a talent that an artist has when they can do that, when they can actually like share like that, you know? And I think that there's the, uh, a recovery side that needs to be developed in, in a lot of us artists, right? To, <laughs> yeah. if we're going to be so giving, then we need proper, personal care like you said yeah. sleeping yeah absolutely right not burning yourself out yeah because i can't give 150 percent seven days a week yeah <laughs> something is gonna go yeah bad yeah. <laughs> right yeah. yeah it's it's about i want to make fewer projects that have deeper impact i want to show up better for them mm-hmm. you know instead of doing seven day grinds it's like kind of over. but it's funny i get my best ideas when i'm not working when you're not working yeah or you are working when i'm not working when i just take a breath I say, you know what i'm definitely not working today 
And I go to the you beach. Got, uh-huh. oh, uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> That's what it's like. Oh, it all yeah, shows I think up. me too then, actually. Like yeah. when I think about COVID, I kept, so many of the ideas that I got that I'm pursuing now are because I wasn't just home doing nothing. And there's kind of like that things just grow, you know? I think uh, um, we need to d- give ourselves more opportunities to be bored. Yeah. As artists. Because I know for me, if I'm too stimulated on social media or movies or whatever, then I'm also not allowing myself time to be in a blank yeah. space. Yeah, for sure. To create. Yeah. And I was wondering, I was like, why haven't I been executing on my personal ideas? It's because I'm watching something all the time. Watching TV to bed, watching something. Well, you know, that's actually the concept of meditation. It's kind of like just give space, you know, with, without, any, without any outcome. Like, that's the first thing I learned when I was studying meditation is it's not about not thinking anything. It's about bringing yourself back from thinking. So when you're meditating, you're constantly going, okay, my mind is there, and now I'm bringing it back. It goes up, and I bring it back. So it's not like you don't end your meditation saying, that sucked, that was a bad meditation. <laughs> yeah. like, it's, it's all a process, but the meditation part is reminding yourself to come back. You know, and it changes it because I, you think when you're like, when you, people are so intimidated by the word meditation, you think meditation means when your mind is free for a couple minutes and you're not thinking of anything, but it actually doesn't happen. Yeah. Your meditation is actually you reminding yourself to go to that place again. And you're going to do it 30 seconds later. Right. You know, but it's, it's just, otherwise we think of it as another thing to fail at. Right. Oh, I'm doing meditation wrong. Yeah. Yeah. It's not working. But so I give myself a break all the time when I'm meditating. I'm thinking, you know what? It's okay if I open my eyes. It's okay if I, you know, go pet my dog. It's okay if I break it up for something, you know. What have you found to be the most useful way to meditate for you? Time of day, way to do it? Yeah, well, when I studied the meditation, they said I meditate morning and night. And I can't do nighttime because I'm just too distracted by my day. Yeah. So I do morning. And I just, that's what it is. I'm not, I'm not. So you wake up at like six-ish, do you Uh work out first? No, I go, I I wake up, I make a piece of toast. So I'm such a, such a pattern guy. (laughs) And I sit down with my dogs and I meditate, but I share my toast with my dogs. And this is an issue because my dogs are getting fat now. And, <laughs> Same with and everybody's person. saying it's because I'm doing that. But it's it's such a precious moment. I sit there with my toast and I got two faces staring at me like, one for me, one for you, one for you. And then when I'm done with all that, I open up the door so they can go outside, go to the bathroom. And then I take 20 minutes to, to meditate. I and like then when that. I'm done, I take my dogs and then back in the room. Where do Mark's you do a sleeping. mantra or anything? Mm, or it's you, a mantra-based meditation. Is it, was that transcendental meditation? Yes, that's actually what it was. Is yeah. that when somebody gives you? Uh-huh. Yeah. 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 Have you tried other forms that didn't work as good? No, I actually want to. It's a funny thing. It's like I love when I hear about Oprah and Deepak Chopra, they have yeah. the, you know, those yeah. things. I've never done them and I want to. I want to try their kinds of meditation. I just haven't. I've just been, but I've been doing this consistently now. It's funny. I use it as a Mark. Mark and I have been together six years. And I know that said I started meditating before I met him, and I and I haven't stopped one day since I've met him. So really? I've been meditating for at least six years now. Wow! Yeah, like every morning. Yeah, that's amazing. I and if I'm traveling, I'll get up and do it five in the morning before I leave at six. Like it's something I have to do. Like twenty like, minutes or so. Twenty minutes. Yeah. Do you have music guided mm-hmm. stuff? No. Mm-hmm. Just... No, because I just do the mantra thing. You know, in your head or out loud? In my head. Yeah. Oh, you yeah. don't have to resonate it with your vocal. No, and there are many times when I'm feel like the entire time I'm pulling myself back, you know, than the other times when I feel like, but it doesn't matter because I think it's, again, it's consistency. That's one thing I have really worked really hard on during the pandemic was the consistency. Same thing with my workout regime. Like I never was like this before, but now I'm, yeah. and I had this funny thing happen where I did spinning once a week before the pandemic, this little place in Sherman Oaks is like where the housewives go, you know? So it was like me and a bunch of housewives. Yeah. Right? And then when the pandemic hit, I emailed them. I was like, hey, can I borrow a spin bike so I can keep going? So I, they rented me a spin bike. They dropped it off in my garage. That's great. And I was doing it every day and I haven't stopped. And 
it's so funny. I just got caught in this thing. And my teacher keeps on calling me to, mm -hmm. to go on Zooms and stuff. And I actually don't need a teacher. Anymore. Yeah, because now thing. you've conditioned it. And it's what it's 12 songs. I close my eyes and I sit down for one song and I stand up for the next song. And I just, that's, that's just what I do. And yeah. I feel so bad for her because I'm such a loyal student and all that. But <laughs> you're I, like, no, I got it. But I don't need. A and I actually, that's I try when I go on vacation, or whatever. I try Pelotons whenever I go. You know, yeah. great bike. But I don't need some some guy like staring at me, telling bad jokes, like telling me, like <laughs> motivating me. So I have this really funny thing what I do in the morning where I just close my eyes for 45 minutes. I play 12 songs, and when I look down at the end, I'm drenched. Like, like, and it doesn't matter if I go light or heavy. It's such a misconception that you have to like crank up the weights and do all that kind of stuff. Doesn't matter if I do like no weights or I do minimal weights. It's the same amount of sweat on the ground. You know what wow. I mean? Like it's the same workout. And I bet it helps psychologically so much too because it's if amazing. you've overcome a physical thing, then yeah. we have to handle email. You're like, well, that's not that. Well, it's crazy. funny you say that because spinning is the cardio part is so hard. Yeah. So then I go to the gym on the way to work and it's already a bonus. Like to me, the gym now when I go there, it's not to work out. It's like the icing on the cakes. I already did my 45 minutes of cardio so now i'm just there just to just to layer a little more on you know so by the time i get to work at nine o'clock i've done two hours of workout meditation like it's it's amazing so by noon is my afternoon and i'm like you know i go to work you at like nine. primed yourself i to crank be, everything out in yeah. the morning so by noon i'm kind of done now i'm reacting to, to new stuff rather than dealing you know yeah, yeah it's amazing but then again the downside is like coming here i'm like three o'clock is my this is my afternoon night <laughs> oh, dude the, the upside way over overcomes it I, I actually was just thinking today that i want to get back to being an early person um because normally i've been working out in the afternoons and i always get the second kick of like i feel like the best parts of my day start like five or six and then get super creative late at night i'm like oh that's because i'm taking time for myself yeah so why don't i just do everything i do in the afternoon yeah in the morning yeah just just literally just yeah. move it up 10 hours, right? Because right now I usually get to my prime in the later evening. I'm like, that's just because I take time. I eat, I exercise, I play with my dog. I, it's like, dude, just get up earlier and do that. You know what is interesting is I, I do miss, I know that this, nighttime is very magical in terms of creative time. That's why I yeah. like songwriters and a lot of people work in the middle of the night. Yeah. Know? I miss that a little bit because I know that there's special stuff, you know? But I also don't, because I'm laughing about my sleep schedule. I don't do that all the time. Like I will go to carnival once sure, a year and yeah. I will go like when I do watch me dance, like it's a nighttime thing, you know, once I get past like the six or seven o'clock, then I'm fine. Again. It's, just, yeah. it's just that little window at the end of the day. But the way you're living, I feel like is adding so much energy, right? It, is it, so it reminds much. me of like the days when I have like long set days, like corporate set days when we have to be like, you know, 6am call times and 12 yeah. hour days, those days I'm full of energy. Yeah. Right. And I get barely no sleep, yeah. but I'm just like, yeah. I'm there. I'm active. I'm That's engaging, yeah. connecting. And then like, you don't even need to work out those days because your adrenaline is so high that you're, you know. Yeah. 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 You know, so that, it's really funny because with this new pattern of me being like, you know, doing this, Mark and I, one of my favorite things with Mark is like, we'll go to West Hollywood like on a Friday, but we'll go out like at three. And we'll go like the happy hour. So we're having cocktails and dinner. We're home by like seven o'clock. And I think about like when I used to go out in West Hollywood, I'd go out at midnight and I yeah. would be at all those clubs and see everybody like two. And now like, <laughs> it's like six o'clock. Mark and I are having cocktails. I'm home by seven. I get to watch the sunset from my house. It's like, that's beautiful. You know what? And you have but, a nice sunset view at your but house. It's really nice, right? That's the other thing that happened because I, I love my house so much over COVID. Like when I would, in the beginning of COVID, when I would like come home and I would like see what everybody's doing and I look around my house, like I don't really. I like this better. Like, I don't, even if I could go out, I don't think I would go out. Like, it yeah. just, it's so weird how that happens, you know? Well, I think you're also defining what is valuable to you and what's enjoyable to you. You don't have to be out at midnight just because that's when everybody else is out. If you enjoy it at three or six, that's your enjoyment. Well, you know, it's funny you're saying that because there's a time in your life for both. 
And the reason why I'm bringing this up now is because I'm doing a, uh, a, a retreat with my office because I want to talk about networking. I want to talk about like, because we've never had this conversation, like what do we expect from our employees? What do we want them to know from us? Like, what does networking mean? Like, and it's different for everybody. But like, if we're going to send agents to go see shows and we're going to encourage people to be out in the office and we should talk about what, what's what that's all about, mean? you know? And I started thinking about what Julie and I used to do a lot. We used to go to like every award show. And when we would go to award shows, we would meet the production designers and lighting designers. And we would have like the laminates backstage. And we got so much business done. And I think, wow, now that we're older, we don't really do that anymore. So I'm excited to have this conversation with my staff because I really want to encourage that to happen, but maybe not for me and Julie now, but maybe from, you know, yeah. encouraging the next generation of our, of our, you know, team to be able to embrace that. Because I do think there's magical things when you network and go out. And again, I keep on going back to Carnival. I remember years ago, Carnival didn't used to have agents there. And I went there one night and I couldn't get in. Then my name wasn't on the list. And I was driving home so mad. And I called Carrie, like just cussing him out, saying, don't ever invite me again. If yeah. I and because of that, he changes. Now all the agents have special tables and all yeah, that yeah. kind of stuff. And in the beginning, when I would go, nobody else would be there. And I would buy drinks for clients. And I would just fill up the table. Like, yeah. And it was so much fun for me to like, create like a social night at Carnival and get everybody together. And it was yeah, like yeah. really important to me. And it grew my business exponentially. Like it really did work. Now I'm kind of on the other side of it thinking, you know, it's more important I go to bed early and I get up so I can run the company from a business place. But you still need to do both. So Somebody I'm, from your company yeah, can be there. You yeah, still, yeah. You, that's really important. Like the whole, you know, networking being out and about is is really important, particularly when you're building a business. Like you you want to make sure you're at the right places. Like, And that's hard. I mean, you know, remember that. Like it's, it's exhausting to have to be places Type all the time. And I think COVID kind of <laughs> wiped that away forever because we were, we're on such a grind of, you got to do this, you got to do this, you do this. And then suddenly nobody needs to do anything more. Now it's really hard to get people to go out actually. Like yeah, if I do right? need somebody from the office to go out, like people don't want to go out anymore because people are so used to just being home now, you know? Yeah, well, me some for people. sure. Yeah, yeah, that's for sure. Exactly, yeah. That's 100% what happened to me that I just got comfortable with this lifestyle of being at home that I just start, you know, so yeah. I have to kind of like retrain myself, like going to see, a, like when we went to New York to see Broadway shows and stuff, like, you know, you have to like, it's a mindset. Oh yeah, I'm out till midnight. You know? Right. And it's, 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 there's a um, networking, I think sometimes gets a negative connotation of like, what does it mean? You're not just handing out business cards. Yeah. You're creating relationships yeah. Yeah. in a real world and it's environment. different for everybody. So that's why I wanted to have this like retreat just to talk about like, what's the nature of, what is it, what's the nature of that? Cause it's a very important tool to be able to know how, what that means, you know? My favorite way of networking is um, connecting people. And then by virtue of that, I, I become involved in their group, right? So like if I, just a random example, if I'm at a party and I see somebody who's like, oh, I'm trying to start a band and I'm a lead singer. I wish I had a drummer. Then I meet a drummer and I'm like, you guys should meet. You're, right? such, you're such an agent. That's what I do. <laughs> that's, that's what I feel like. And, like, and then I bring is. them together. Yeah. Now these two people are together yeah. because I connected them. Yeah. So now when they need something, they call this guy to yeah. do the videos or whatever. You know, there's right? a business in that. It's called agenting. <laughs> I mean, that's where I, feel, that's where I feel like that's where the magic happens. Like, yeah. you know, the, my biggest clients is, you know, the biggest jobs they've gotten is because I've been done exactly what you did. Yeah. Well, it's a great way also just, you know, if somebody's just like an independent, even if somebody's like a, a up and coming dancer or whoever, and they, and they go to a party and they don't know anybody, try to see how you can contribute to the people there by mm -hmm. getting to know this person and that person. Yeah. And even if it's not for a business sense, but if you connect these two together, <laughs> you are now a value of the party in a different way. Yeah. You know, because a lot of times it's yeah. like, well, well, do they care about me? Do they know about me? Do they... It's like, no, it's not about me. Yeah. Because then when they, 
then they'll ask you what you want, what you do because mm -hmm. they care. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Because a lot of times people say, oh, you do this, I do that, and they don't really care. Yeah. It's just small They don't want to know when they ask they you don't that. Give a fuck. Yeah. They don't yeah. give a fuck. Yeah. But I think when I connected people, that most of the jobs I get are just recommendations for people I've connected yeah. with. It's like, oh, you guys should meet, and you guys should meet. And then somehow they're like, oh, yeah, Brazil should do that. You know, it's yeah. funny. I have a conversation a lot with clients about that, where it's that you know you didn't introduce me to them, or what have you, you know, or you didn't, yeah. what have you done, something like that. You know, but sometimes you don't realize it's it's the, the original connection that actually does create the relationship. So yeah. that's that's everything. Like to me, that's where I feel like the most important part of my job is in what you just talked about, being at a party and being able to say, "Hey, have you met this person?" Because I've seen careers completely take off yes. because of that. Well, it's know? so valuable because it it gives a sense of trust. It's almost like a credit score. Right, like uh -huh. if I'm if I'm if, uh -huh. if I'm just Joe Schmo at a party and nobody knows me, right? But then you say, "Hey, you should meet Brazil," <laughs> and you've done this uh -huh. before, right? Automatically, they don't even need to check my website. Yeah, because Tony said so. Yeah, there we go. Yeah, that's th yeah, that's, that, that's up about. to me to go yeah. build all that, yeah. right? So that's why I think it is so valuable what you do. Yeah, right. And I think that even people that aren't agents should think in that way, in a contributing sense of networking. Yeah. Right, because if they need you, they'll let you know. Yeah, you know. Yeah, but I think uh, I agree with that. You know, I think that's the best way to network too. Is not not to do it for a result, but to do it because you you know because you really you enjoy the the process again. Yeah, and the result will come because if if people really like you and they like you for a real good reason, they're going to remember who you are and they're going to call you. you yeah, know? absolutely. Because otherwise, if if I just say, "Hey, do you need a video?" No, oh, yeah. then you're not important to me. Yeah, right. <laughs> do you need a video? No, and I, I, and I see that all all day long. People yeah, just pushing that agenda, and it's so obvious when you see that, and so disturbing when you see that, because you want to just say to that person, like, just relax. It like, almost gives me like um, uh, <laughs> cranky stripper vibes, <laughs> you know, when they've come up and they're like, when you say, "I don't want to dance with them," <laughs> yeah. and they act like you're not. <laughs> yeah. It's like, man, how about you just create a lovely environment? You yeah. know, it's like um, that's why I was saying at the beginning of the conversation: transactions versus relationships. Mm -hmm. You and I have had yeah. so many conversations that have been non-transact most yeah. of my uh, <laughs> relationship yeah. with you is us just shooting the shit yeah and then and then there's been some amazing opportunities yeah. you recommended me for yeah. but yeah i'm not gonna not talk to you because we're not working you yeah. know it's just like hey yeah. it's good to see you man yeah you know um but that comes from a place of abundance mm -hmm. right so mm -hmm. i don't know i feel like i feel like it's, it's way easier said than done but giving is the way mm-hmm Right for your agents, mm -hmm. for the mm -hmm. choreographers, for, the, for everybody. Yeah, find a way to give. Yeah, right. Serve many people, yeah. and you'll be okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Dude, love the vibes, man. You know we can keep talking all day. We, we we're coming up on two hours already. Oh shit! Really? Hope yeah. We can edit this down to something good. Fifteen minute chunk. <laughs> <laughs> no, this was great. Um, you must be bored out of your mind. <laughs> <laughs> um. I think instead of me taking this into a four-hour conversation, I just want to wrap it up and um, just tell you how much I appreciate you. Oh, thank you. And just give you your flowers, man. Um, you've been nothing but kind to me since I've met you. Even when I had nothing to offer, you were super kind to me, and that meant a lot. And I just I appreciate that. That's well, it. Man. I think a lot of that comes from you—the fact that you're very open, you're a non-judgmental of people, and you don't come with an agenda. And I think that's again that's the libra in you that just you know that has this really cool outlook on life like i'm really impressed with you that you don't seem to be thrown around like you're kind of just on your mission that's why when you told me how what's happening right now it's like that's so cool that it just kind of fell into place you know and now here we are yeah well 
congrats on everything that's happening, man. Thank I'm you. so and excited you. for you and, and, and for the next chapters of what you're creating and producing. Thank you. Like, man, it's exciting Let's times. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, cool. So everybody, this is Tony Selznick. Um, check out, what's the, what's the MSA website? MSA. MSAagency.com. MSAagency.com. <laughs> at Tony Selznick. And uh, thank you yeah. for watching. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Whoa. Look, they can never keep me down. I'm going. And if I ever fail, just know I'll go again. I never quit because I know that every loss may lead to another win. I'm going up. I bet when I land, they gon' tell me it's luck again. See that I'm winning, it's harder to watch. I'm setting the stage, you should give me my prize. You ain't got a soul, you lacking the spirit. You talk out your neck, I'ma show you I'm with it. I've been really happy for you to sit and watch me win again and win again and win again. I know it's probably getting on me.